and it's the busiest air corridor in the world from that point of view. So he, he could have been confused. And there are some height limitations. In other words, the, the, the planes that fly by there, I'm talking about personal aircraft, light aircraft, and even some, I guess, commercial aircraft. I know that I've returned to the city from time to time and come in uh, at about, uh, uh, at a height about level with the top of the building there. Well, certainly, and you have a lot of helicopter operations uh, in that area down at that low altitude. So is it, is it in your view, um, this could have been an accident? It, it, we're not necessarily talking about a deliberate, a deliberate act here. I wouldn't think so immediately at all. Uh, you've got to find out why he crashed. And if, obviously, if it's a deliberate terrorist act, then there'll be a message probably from somebody taking credit for it. But right now, it sounds as though the early morning sun, we've had drivers and, and cars get blinded, you know, by the sun. You could have aircraft trouble. Um, so he, he could be distracted. Uh, there's a number of reasons why the, the aircraft might hit the building. Eyewitnesses are saying it was a small commuter plane. Um, again, these early uh, reports are just coming in now from the wire services. A small commuter plane, apparently, hitting the side of the World Trade Center. Uh, happened, oh, just a, just a few minutes ago, but you can see the smoke. Uh, the smoke tower is growing. Uh, there is uh, quite a bit of flame inside the building. Uh, the two towers are um, home, at least during the day, to upwards of 50,000 workers yes, in those 220 that. floors. Right. Um, I am reminded of a couple of things that happened recently, Doc. Not long ago, uh, just in the last couple of weeks, in, uh, there was a pilot who flew. There was another one. We just saw... We just saw another one. We just saw another one apparently go. Another plane just flew into the second tower. This raises, this has to be deliberate, folks. Well, that would begin to say that, yeah. We just saw on live television as a second plane flew into the second tower of the World Trade Center. Now, given what has been going on around the world um, some of the some of the key suspects come to mind Osama bin Laden who knows who knows what Eric Sean is with us Eric I know you have a lot of sources at the FBI and other agencies like that what can you tell us well first I apologize for being out of breath because I was walking down Fifth Avenue uh, which is close to our studios and I heard a uh, a jet, uh, perhaps a 737 or a small Airbus, uh, flying low, unusually low over Fifth Avenue, making a right. I'm not going to say, I don't know, I don't have any reports on what type of plane hit the World Trade Center, but people looked up and it made a, a right toward the, uh, toward the building. John, what we just saw though, obviously, uh, if that indeed was a second aircraft that hit the, uh, the, uh, southern tower of the World Trade Center, that obviously raises the specter of, uh, of an intentional uh, terrorist attack. Uh, here, if, we're, if that is indeed what we are looking at, uh, I don't know what the reports say of what type of plane hit hit the uh, the tower, but I did see a, a jet airliner that was fairly low. It was unusual, although not unusual in air traffic patterns, because airplanes uh, that fly to LaGuardia often are vectored down south, straight over Manhattan, but of course at uh, an altitude that is uh, far above uh, the buildings, clearly, 
and that the avenue that if you look down Fifth Avenue, oftentimes you see planes, especially the ones from the north, uh, coming down before they vector on a uh, on a left turn to go up into uh, uh, 13 to 31 or 422, the uh, two runways uh, up at LaGuardia. But clearly, this is tremendously disturbing. If indeed that explosion that we just saw on television is indeed a, a another airplane, this raises the possibility that is this an intentional attack? Uh, a terrorist attack, as we know, the uh, World Trade Center was bombed in the garage back in the uh, in the early 90s. We're we're going to cut away from the live pictures for just a moment to replay uh, what just happened. And I thought when when it first happened, I thought it was a replay, but in fact we saw this live perhaps two minutes ago. Look at that, a jet plane, clearly a jet plane, a good-sized airplane slamming into the second tower of the World Trade Center. This after a report of another plane slamming into the North Tower, both towers now in flames. We have reports of at least six people killed, 1,000 injured, and clearly those numbers are going to go up. Bill Stokes is on the phone with us. He is an eyewitness to what happened. Bill, we just saw the video of the, uh, the plane hitting the second tower. What did you see? Well, I got to correct you and say I wasn't exactly an eyewitness. However, I was an ear witness. Um, I live on Thompson Street in the village, which looks directly down to the two towers. I was sitting at my desk by the window here working and heard an abnormally low flying plane come right down the street practically and then followed by a loud bang. People rushed from the apartments onto the street. I've never seen anything like it. Um, everybody's a little freaked out here. With good reason. And uh, uh, there's a sanitation worker that was picking up garbage that, that actually saw the plane fly down that street over Soho, and he saw it hit. And my question to him immediately was, thinking that this could be a missile, I said, was it a plane or was it a small missile? He said, no, it was definitely a plane, and it seemed like a large plane. Well, we, we saw a large plane hit the second tower um, minutes after the, the first tower was engulfed in flames. We're going to look at it again. This Look at the lower part of your screen. There is clearly a jet, a twin-engine jet, slamming into one side, and then the, the fireball, the debris raining out the far side of the south tower of the World Trade Center. Now, Erica, I am reminded again of what happened back in 1989. The intent, the intent of those terrorists back then was to actually bring down the tower, wasn't it? Yes, and I would obviously think if anyone is in there, they've got to get out immediately, I would imagine. Uh, what we just saw was a twin engine, it appeared to be a twin engine jetliner. You've got several makes. It could be a, uh, a 737, uh, perhaps it looked kind of large, so it could be a 737-800, which is the newest generation of uh, airliners. I think the question is, what is that airline? They're expensive. Was it hijacked? Uh, do we know where it came from? Parkings? Were they uh, are these intentional pilots uh, who are uh, kamikaze pilots uh, executing this kamikaze attack into the World Trade Center? Were they stolen? Are they small Airbuses? Those are flown by U.S. Air. Uh, the uh, 7800s are flown by the Delta shuttle that goes from LaGuardia to New York. Uh, you've got the one that I saw going down Fifth Avenue before it made a turn looked very white. Now that could theoretically indicate it would be a Delta shuttle. I'm not saying it is, folks. I don't want to alarm people. Also, Air Canada flies uh, those t uh, uh, twin-engine uh, air small, smaller Airbuses down from uh, Montreal and down from Toronto. So I think one of the first things investigators have got to start to uh, 
do right now is find out where these planes are from, who is flying them, are there any more coming, uh, and what can they do to any intercept any others if there are. Imagine that there has got to be a, uh, a ground hold right now at all the airports in the New York area, as well as a freeze in the air traffic center of all the uh, aircraft around the New York metropolitan area. And if there, is a, if there are any other air, airplanes coming, uh, perhaps uh, the Air National Guard or others uh, will have to start dealing with this. And in the air, maybe they've already scrambled uh, uh, at the moment as we speak. So I think clearly, judging by the pictures that we've seen, sadly, horribly, uh, what we've uh, long feared and many have worried about and thought could never happen would be a terrorist attack, uh, a deliberate terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. Uh, as we are witnessing right now, not obviously the accident that happened with the Empire State Building uh, back in the 1940s, 1945, a, a B-7, a B-25, B-25. Uh, it, yeah, 25 hit the Empire State Building by accident when he had descended through clouds trying to go to Newark. Uh, this that, is clearly that, deliberate. That chilling, chilling, horrible scene that we just saw, uh, I think, is attack uh, not just in the World Trade Center, but at the very soul and the very heart uh, of our nation, John. Kai, Kai Simonson is in the WNYW chopper and has perhaps the best view of this. Let's listen into Kai's narration now. If it indeed were two planes, we did see one. How did they manage to get into the area and, and to, to you wonder, hit the these, plane uh, like that? These are all the things the that we're going to have to be that are going to have to be answered. How could uh, how could two uh, large planes uh, just that quickly? Uh, get out of uh, out of uh, control from our local presumably commercial aircraft. Now we can't speak to the first one, but that second aircraft that to to answer that question that is being raised, how could two aircraft get in there so close? Well, if uh, if two pilots want to take their planes anywhere, uh, you know, it's it's a free country, and uh, we don't have anti-aircraft guns on our skyscrapers. I mean, it it's a matter of seconds, literally, for a jetliner to get from Newark Airport to the World Trade Center. A jetliner at, at full speed could cover that distance in a minute or two. So a couple of uh, a couple of pilots bent on destruction, and clearly these were, could do something like this. Now, again, folks, we have to remind you, 50,000 people work in these buildings each and every day. It happened right at 9 a.m., a good number of those folks were already at their desks. Uh, the death toll is certainly going to be tremendous in this uh, tragedy here. And that's all that we can say about it. It is a tragedy. It is abhorrent. It is disgusting. But I'm you know, wondering, are these pilots terrorists themselves? Uh, are they uh, are, is, are there terrorists in the cockpit? who are holding guns to a pilot's head, did they uh, I, I can't the imagine. You can, you can speculate uh, completely about how this happens, because obviously it takes uh, a lot of training and expertise to fly a uh, complicated, sophisticated uh, aircraft, whether it's a Boeing 737 or a smaller Airbus. These are not uh, little Cessnas and little Pipers. So uh, there is a, you have, have to wonder and raise the, what possibility there is with the type of scenario that was going on in the cockpit. All right, but they, they are intent, whether it's the pilots or if they're hijackers, uh, it, intentionally doing this. A lot of questions still to be answered. Let's listen in again to right, Kai yeah, Simonson from the Fox 5 chopper. Uh, the fire department emergency services can handle both in that confined space uh, without a tremendous No matter forward. how much you set in can place, how much you try to prepare for until it actually happens, it's just not the same thing. 
Again, you're looking at a live picture of the World Trade Center, where uh, shortly before nine o'clock, shortly before nine o'clock this morning, and then shortly after nine o'clock, uh, planes apparently deliberately crashed into the uh, buildings. Alani Devito, are you there? Alani Devito, are you there? I understand we have uh, another eyewitness uh, uh, to this catastrophe. Uh, Lonnie DeVito, are you there? Uh, apparently uh, we lost Lonnie, this, but again... This may be confusing to some people because in a sense it is a little confusing to me. We every now and then see what looks like, I don't know if it's the bottom of a chopper that is swinging back and forth. Oh, that, that? that would be our... That our, is ours. That would be okay. uh, the, uh, the rudders yes. mm -hmm. from, uh, from our chopper I every see. once in a while. Hey, Jim. Lonnie DeVito, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, Lonnie. Thank Hi. you. This is Jim Ryan in the in the studio. Can you tell us what you heard and saw when the when the blast uh, took place? Right now, I was actually talking to my, talking to my brother on the phone about what happened. I I was on my roof and I saw something from where I am. I really can't see what it is. I saw something go into into the other building because from where I am, I could see the World Trade Center. I co I run downstairs and I see on the news that it, it looks like another fighter jet is what it looks like, and from my house I can see all the smoke that's into into Diker Heights. I can see all of that. It's ridiculous. I can't believe all of this is happening. Honestly. You say you're in Di Diker Heights, yes. uh, Lonnie? Yes. Okay. And could you hear the blast from where you were? No, I couldn't hear the blast, but I I saw something and it didn't look pretty. <laughs> exactly what how I can I can't explain it in any other way. I'm in shock right now. All right, you are looking at uh, live pictures, folks. This is coming to you from the southern end of Manhattan, the World Trade Center, both towers in flames, apparently hit by two separate jetliners. The FBI is now out reports of a hijack just before uh, this uh, terrible, terrible incident occurred. It happened. The first one uh, was hit just before 9 this morning. The second one hit uh, a couple of minutes after nine. Uh, John Hires is an eyewitness to all of this, is on the phone with us. John, what did you see? John Hires. John, are you with us? All right, we lost John Hires. Uh, we have another view now of that plane slamming into the second building. Look at it, it's coming in from the side, coming low, hitting the building about in the middle folks, uh, you see the pictures. It looks like Hollywood, but this is real. Uh, the reports are, again, these are very unconfirmed. We're trying to be responsible with what we bring you here, but the reports of a hijacking of a plane coming into the FBI, a hijacking of a plane shortly before this incident took place. Now, you can imagine if a couple of trained pilots and this would not be beyond the reach of uh, many terrorist organizations around the world. A couple of plane, uh, trained pilots were to take control of one of these sophisticated jetliners. Once they're in the air, folks, they are easy to fly. And uh, you disengage the autopilot. You can take that plane anywhere you want to go. 50,000 people or so working in those two buildings, and both now have been struck by airliners. Our Wendell Gohler is at the White House, uh, rather, make that Sarasota. He is traveling with the president. Wendell Gohler, what's the reaction uh, from uh, the president? John, the president is here uh, promoting a reading initiative on the uh, second day of a two-day trip to Florida. 
he just finished uh, reading to some children at the Emma Booker Elementary School and was asked uh, about the incident. He said aware of it and that uh, uh, would have some about it later. His aides have been scrambling for the past 15 or 20 minutes uh, uh, to find out what is happening and to keep the president briefed as well. Mr. Bush is scheduled to address the school here and then return to the White House later in the day uh, for uh, a congressional barbecue with the White House. Uh, one must imagine uh, that he may be going home a little earlier than scheduled and that the, the barbecue, if it is held, will be a very somber affair. Uh, Secret Service agents are, are also watching the, the video uh, on, on Fox and other television networks. Uh, all uh, sense that this may well be uh, a terrorist uh, incident of some kind and something that will uh, certainly uh, uh, draw the president's involvement. We've got a, a report from the FBI that uh, a 737 was hijacked uh, very shortly before the, uh, the second plane uh, uh, flew into the, uh, the other uh, World uh, Trade Center tower. And uh, as you can aware, the president uh, uh, who travels with... Uh, Secure communication uh, to his national security staff uh, is being briefed of, uh, about this uh, even as we speak. John? All right, Wendell Goler, thanks very much. Uh, again, the, uh, the reports are preliminary, uh, and they are as awful as the pictures that you are seeing there on your screen, perhaps even more so, because it raises the prospect. To take a look now. This tape is from earlier, as you see the second jetliner. And we don't have an identification on that jetliner yet, but you see that jetliner slamming into the second tower of the World Trade Center about a couple of minutes after 9 o'clock. The New York Stock Exchange is being evacuated. This is going to cause a great deal of chaos in financial markets worldwide, uh, to say nothing of the, the absolutely certain loss of life. Uh, we have a report of, of six people dead and a thousand injured, but those numbers are certainly going to go up. The, 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 the also um, awful part of this is if there was, in fact, a hijacking, one doesn't know how many people may have been on board one or both planes if, in fact, they were hijacked. Eric? The question is, perhaps, were they in the air and hijacked? Did they come from Canada? I want to just... Uh point out that there was a, the plane that we just saw that crashed into, a, into the World Trade Center. Uh, it could be a 737. It could be a, one of the smaller Airbuses that are twin engines that are flown by Air Canada. And uh, they, they obviously came down from the north. Uh, does that mean they came from Canada? No. But uh, let me just start raising some speculation uh, as responsibly as I possibly can. Uh, you know, we don't know what the security arrangements are in, in every airport around the country. Uh, were these planes that happen to be uh, parked on the tarmac? Were they in maintenance? Were they uh, already uh, on the ground in a taxiway in some uh, airport uh, before that they hit? I did see one plane go down Fifth Avenue very low before it banked right toward the World Trade Center. That plane, what my initial thought was that it was a, uh, a smaller Airbus, but uh, uh, definitely a commercial plane, just like the one, the second one that we just saw hit the World Trade Center in that video. Tape. Mark Burnback, a Fox employee, is on the phone with us. Uh, Mark uh, witnessed this from what we understand. Mark, were you close enough to be able to see any markings on, on the airplane? Uh, hi, gentlemen. How you doing? Yeah, there was, um, there was definitely a blue logo. It was like a circular logo on the front of the plane uh, towards the, uh, yeah, definitely towards the front. Um, it definitely did not look like a commercial plane. I didn't see any windows on the side. And as far as I knew, when I saw it coming down, I was like, well, LaGuardia is pretty far away, and that plane is really slow. 
and uh, definitely very low. And um, I'm completely panicked. I'm <laughs> you're freaking out. I can't well, believe what I just saw. We are all shaken by this. We are uh, watching the video now back live. Uh, but the upper floors of the World Trade Center in Manhattan in flames now after apparently two large airplanes. We're talking about jet jetliners here slammed into the sides right around nine o'clock this morning. Mark, if what you say is true, those could be cargo planes or something like that. You said you didn't see any windows in the side? I didn't see any windows in the sides. I saw the plane flying low. I was probably like a block away from the subway in Brooklyn, and that plane came down very low. And again, there was it, it was not a normal flight that I've ever seen at an airport. It was a plane that had a blue uh, logo on the front, and it just it did not look like it belonged in this area, to be frankly right. about it. I mean, that's not an accident. Keep my in, personal opinion. Keep in, keep. All right, let's let's bring in uh, David Lee Miller, our correspondent. Uh, he has uh, an eyewitness with him. David Lee, what can you tell us? Good morning, John. I'm a few blocks from the World Trade Center right now. As you would expect, all the roadways are pretty much cut off. The only way to get near the buildings is on foot right now. Uh, the scene is absolutely a horrific one. You have people streaming out of the area. You've got people literally in tears and shock. People that just worked in the nearby buildings that cannot believe what has happened. Still many of them remember the uh, terrorist attack years ago in the World Trade Center and many of them this is just an ugly reminder of that although the details of what happened here are not certain as i was walking downtown in lower manhattan making my way to the uh, world trade centers i stopped to speak to sylvia fuentes she's with me right now we're a few blocks away from the building she works in lower manhattan she used to work in the trade center and uh, i'm going to actually hand her the telephone right now and she's going to describe for us what she saw this morning as uh, she was arriving at work sylvia Mitchell, Hi, Hi, Sylvia. Yes, Sylvia, I, go ahead. I was at the deli on Fulton Street, and I heard a loud rumbling. And when I walked out of the deli on Fulton Street, I looked up in the air. There was an airplane actually going into the World Trade Center, and flames were coming out, and smoke was just billowing in the air. And tons of people were running down Fulton Street, just running each other over. And I made my way back to my office on Water Street, and when I got upstairs... I looked out my window to see what was going on, and the second World Trade Center just went into flames just at, from one minute to the next. Sylvia, thanks for that eyewitness report. And uh, once again, David Lee Miller is uh, on the phone with I'm us, here, David. I'm, I'm sorry, John, I didn't hear you. Well, I just wanted to, I wanted to thank you for that uh, report and for that eyewitness uh, account you know, of what happened. John, I think it's important to, to keep in mind this morning that in just getting information out is a difficult thing at this time because there are people running through the streets with their cell phones in hand, many like myself, who are unable to actually uh, get through on the cell system. It is overloaded. And the only way for most people to communicate right now is to, is to find a, a regular telephone line because they're, they're just literally thousands of people streaming through the streets, all of them uh, not knowing what to do or what has happened here. Right. All right, David Lee Miller, thanks very much. Want to bring into the discussion William Daly. He is a former FBI agent. Uh, Bill, there are reports uh, that the FBI is looking into the possibility of a plane hijacking. Um, when you look at these buildings, these buildings are the symbols of capitalism to enemies of America, aren't they? Absolutely, John. I mean, these have, as, as we know, were the target of the terrorist attack uh, in this last decade. And uh, uh, by comparison, uh, that explosion, as horrific as it was, uh, certainly pales in, in respect to what we see happening here today. Uh, just the thought that uh, when I first heard the reports, by the way, and I heard that a plane had, had uh, hit the top of the World Trade Center, I thought perhaps it was something that 
was gone awry, a small plane lost control. Uh, certainly the worst fears of, of anyone in law enforcement and security is, is someone directly uh, going after a building, particularly the World Trade Center. Then just a few minutes later, another plane uh, intentionally flying into the World Trade Center just dramatizes the fact that we have a serious, I believe, a terrorist incident here. And I believe that uh, something has happened that uh, uh, has caused these planes to uh, be taken or be commandeered. We all, sh we all shared in that hope. Bill, in the early going. In fact, uh, one of our early guests from the a former National Transportation Safety Board investigator was saying, hey, this could have been a pilot who was temporarily disoriented, maybe by the morning sun. It happened before skyscraper. The uh, Empire State Building was was hit back in 1945 by an army bomber. Uh, but that was in the fog. This was on a bright, clear morning. And when we saw that second plane slam into the second tower intentionally, quite clearly, uh, you you got to believe this is a terrorist attack. It doesn't seem like uh, there would be two suicidal pilots out there who just wanted to, you know, uh, fly their planes into these buildings for um, whatever whatever reason a suicidal person might want to do that. Harvey, Harvey Kushner is on the line with us. He's a frequent guest of ours and a terrorism expert. Harvey, is it too early to speculate about suspects? I, I don't uh, want to bring up... Uh, uh, memories of the Oklahoma City bombing when uh, people were talking about Middle Eastern terrorists. Yeah, obviously it's it's too early to bring that up. Who might be responsible if, in fact, it is terrorism? I mean, you know, look, John, I, I couldn't conjure up a story like this. I couldn't. If, if I wrote a script like this with two planes, I believe there were two, would go into the Trade Center on a clear day like this, uh, you know, somebody laugh at me and say this is beyond bizarre. So one thinks only that this could be the most horrifically planned incident, you know, in the annals of terrorism against the United States. Uh, think about it. I mean, uh, uh, you look outside the Fox Studios, look how clear it is. I mean, how could you miss the, the, the true, the trade towers? I right. mean, not, not just one, but two planes? Well, and, and, and it brings to mind, you know, everybody hates those metal detectors at airports, and everybody makes uh, um, passing through them almost a joke these days. But clearly, uh, it seems that something is going to change. I guess there are many questions left to be answered about these two planes. It is certainly possible that uh, some terrorist group somewhere bought a couple of small, uh, relatively for them inexpensive, um, jet transport planes for a few million bucks a piece if you can make this kind of a statement and and kill as many people as are likely to be dead in this kind of scenario yeah, you know John uh, you know we're talking about terrorism no matter what, how this turns out uh, this is going to be a day that's going to live in infamy and you know it's going to cause changes in terms of if it turns out to terrorism in terms of security like this country has never seen before and if it just happens to be an accident it's going to change FAA and NTSB and, and the whole airline industry and flight patterns over New York, especially if it's a small craft involved or if it's a 787. Well, it, it's, I think it's way beyond uh, calling this an accident at this point, Harvey. But, uh, well, I'm, try, I'm, try, I'm trying to be incendiary, you know. Right. Uh, I, I recall I'm old enough, unfortunately, to recall the incidents in which uh, people from Middle Eastern descent were blamed for the Oklahoma City right up front. You remember that. Right. I do. And, and certainly, and you know, the panic. from that which occurred with the TWA 800 as well. Right. But, but to me, as I said to you, I couldn't conjure up 
uh, a story like this, John. And I'm sure you've covered news That's throughout right. the world. This is something this that is, is just this is absolutely it's literally horrific. goosebumps for a terrorism guy like myself. It's put goosebumps on my body. We're, know, we're all in that same situation. Shot. Harvey, thanks very much. Harvey Kushner is a terrorism expert. We want to go to Dr. Peter Salgo. Peter Salgo. He is not only an eyewitness, but he's now at Presbyterian Hospital working triage. Uh, Dr. Salgo, in human terms, what are we looking at here? How many injuries have you seen? We haven't seen anybody yet. Uh, this is all so new that uh, we're all trying to, to figure out exactly what the response needs to be here. I know that uh, there are meetings going on now to find out whether we should go ahead with the operating room schedule or not, uh, what we're going to need to do if there are casualties that get up to Presbyterian Hospital with regard to uh, the ICUs, with regard to the recovery room status. Uh, every hospital in this city uh, has a disaster plan, and uh, with communications a bit disrupted, the question is really, who needs to initiate the disaster plan? Where are the uh, victims going to be transported? Uh, we're pretty far away from the World Trade Center. We're up by the George Washington Dr. Bridge, which Salgo, is several miles north. Dr. Salgo, let me interrupt you for just a moment. President Bush is about to speak. He's in Florida at was what was supposed to be a joyous event at an elementary school. Let's listen in. A difficult moment for America. I, um, unfortunately, will be going back to Washington after my remarks. Secretary Rod Pace and Lieutenant Governor will take the podium and discuss education. I do want to thank the folks here at, uh, at the Booker Elementary School for their hospitality. Uh, today we've had a national tragedy. Uh, two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the director of the FBI, and have ordered that the full resources of the federal government uh, go to help the victims and their families and, the, and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. Terrorism against our nation will not stand. And now if you join me in a moment of silence. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. Thank you very much. Clearly a shaken President Bush. Jettisoning what were intended to be uh, his remarks on education. Um, perhaps uh, a little more education worldwide would prevent this kind of thing in, in the future. But... Uh, we are we are going to be looking at an enormous death toll. Fifty thousand people work in those two buildings. They have been slammed into by airplanes. You're looking at the footage of one of the planes coming in earlier. This is the second plane, a jet aircraft hitting the World Trade Center about two minutes after nine, perhaps five minutes after nine this morning. Rita Cosby is on the phone with us. And Rita, I understand you have a lot of new information. Yeah, John, I've just been told from a U.S. law enforcement official that they are saying it is evident that this is a terrorist-related attack. And uh, among the key targets, key people that they're looking at is Osama bin Laden. It was just last Friday that the U.S. State Department put out a worldwide caution to American citizens traveling abroad and also to U.S. government facilities. And they said that terrorism knows no limits, whether it's on U.S. soil or outside. So they're certainly looking at that as a possibility. What I'm also hearing from my uh, officials at FAA, at the Federal Aviation Administration, is that they believe the first 
plane may have been an American Airlines plane, a commercial jet, either a 737 or 757, and that it was a hijacked plane. This is what they believe. They're still trying to get this verified, but they did get some reports that there was an American Airlines plane that was hijacked en route from Boston to Los Angeles this morning. And they're saying that there is a strong possibility that that first plane that crashed into one of the towers, which does appear to be commercial and looking at the video, they're saying it appears to be either a 737 or 757, that that apparently might have been the hijacked plane. In terms of what the second plane is, they said that that does appear, as you've been reporting, John, to be a jet plane, probably a 737, a twin-engine jet airplane. Um, and those are the two things that are being looked at. They said at this point, there was no direct threat that they were aware of, of any specific threat in terms of targeting the Twin Towers there in New York, but that they did have specific threats against Americans and American facilities around the world, and that's why they issued that worldwide caution. We also know that the FBI rapid response team has been deployed. It is en route. Several FBI agents are already on the scene there at the Twin Towers, but they are definitely looking at this as a terrorist-related act, looking uh, at this point not knowing who is behind it, but looking at the strong possibility that it may be Osama bin Laden, the mastermind behind the uh, East African embassy bombings uh, several years ago. Back to you, John. All right, Rita Cosby, thanks very much. I want to bring into the conversation William Daly. Uh, Bill, I know that Osama bin Laden likes airplanes, and again, um, we are not attributing this act to his organization, but he was implicated in a plot to blow up something like 13 airliners in 13 days or eight in eight days, mm -hmm. that back in the Philippines back in the 1980s, I believe. Exactly. Um, it has, it, airplanes have been uh, his terrorist weapon of choice in the past. They have because they, they hold for, for someone like a bin Laden or other, other terrorists. Uh, the fact that you could take a plane and within just the number of people on the on the plane commits such a horrendous act at one time makes an impact to the world uh, combine that with an, with what we see in front of our eyes today at the world trade center and you you certainly conjure up the worst possible scenario that a uh, certainly law enforcement could think of what a terrorist might do um, the before we get on to you know possibly bin laden there's certainly other other terrorist groups around the world that uh, would like to do things like this the question would be who might be able to actually carry out such an incident, whether uh, by sheer manpower, training, uh, or, or some other device. So um, although he's certainly our poster boy for, uh, literally, for, for terrorism worldwide, uh, there are other groups out there that certainly have also ill intent against the United States. Um, but what we see before us today is, uh, as I mentioned before, is something that uh, in, in planning scenarios gets, gets almost into the catastrophic where it's, uh, to, to prevent something like this from happening. Planes fly by, John, as you may know, and I know, having traveled in and out of the city, come up and down the East River by the, by the hundreds each day, by the thousands each week, and passing by the Trade Center. At, at rooftop level. Look down and you see the antenna, you see the windows. So this is something that, uh, even on a bad day, uh, they fly up and down that route. Today was a perfectly clear day in New York. He, even even if end. some air, air traffic controller saw those airplanes, and certainly they would have been in view of air traffic control, it might not have looked all that unusual. The first plane, uh, which I, from my appearance, I saw it over Fifth Avenue heading south uh, when I was coming to work, appeared to be a 737, or as I said, a smaller Airbus. Uh, that could fit with what Rita just reported, that her sources are saying that uh, perhaps it was a plane hijacked from Boston, uh, uh, which obviously is north, that is a used air route down through Manhattan before planes make a left into LaGuardia, so clearly, uh, uh, perhaps 
there may not have been an indication that something was wrong at that time. I just want to remind our viewers that the world of the uh, NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange have not opened for the day for obvious reasons. This catastrophic terrorist attack on the World Trade Center right there in the Wall Street area. Uh, the two markets have not opened for the day. No word yet on will, when they will open, but clearly... Uh, given this kind of turmoil, you don't want to throw the financial markets into a complete panic. John Fund from the Wall Street Journal is on the phone with us. Uh, John, were you in the area when the planes hit? I was across the street in my office building. What did you see? What did you hear? I heard, a, I heard an incredible sonic boom and uh, looked up, and there were already much smoke and flames pouring out of the building. And about 15 minutes later, of course, a second sonic boom, which, of course, would have been the second tower and the second plane. What about injuries, John? Well, Can you tell most, us? The most terrible and heart-rending thing about this is about 15 minutes ago, bodies started dropping from the top floors of the uh, tower closest to the highway, about at least five or six. And uh, it, was, it was absolutely terrible. Obviously, they had two choices, to be burned into, in flames or to... Uh, leap and end it all. It was quite tragic. So these are people who apparently survived the initial explosion and fire and then found themselves engulfed in smoke. Yes, and they obviously had no alternatives at that point. Uh, John, did you, I guess you just heard the explosions. You didn't get a chance to see the planes involved. No, I did not, but I, I mean, looked up immediately afterwards, and of course the flames were everywhere. There's an enormous jagged hole in the first tower. The second hole in the second tower is much less extensive and much less dramatic, uh, but there's flames out of that, too. The flames burn in the parking lot across the street from the World Trade Center because of debris that has fallen down, and of course there's complete pandemonium here, and every building in the neighborhood is being evacuated or yeah. has been evacuated. Yeah, well, that's the prudent thing to do, certainly. When we are looking at video of... Uh the second plane hitting the World Trade Center. When we saw it happen on live television, as we were talking about what at that point were only rumors of a plane hitting the first tower, then that second one came into view, and it became pretty clear what's going on here. Um, Bill, Bill Daly, well, let me bring into the conversation David Asman, uh, my colleague. Yes, John Scott, David, what can you tell I, I us? I just want to... Uh give you some late breaking information perhaps one of the things that is of greatest fear is that there is yet another terrorist attack since those since those two plane crashes happened within 20 minutes of each other well all of manhattan has been sealed off this is probably unprecedented of course all of this is unprecedented in this dastardly dastardly occasion but manhattan has been sealed off uh, the hudson river bridges and the tunnels have been sealed uh, clearly, there is an attempt right now to thwart any further act of terrorism, act of violence against the people of Manhattan. So Manhattan is in a lockdown. We've heard that phrase used in, in school shootings. We've heard that phrase used in, in jailbreaks. I can't recall ever having that phrase used uh, with regard to a city the size of Manhattan. But Manhattan is in a lockdown. It is sealed off. The Hudson River bridges, the tunnels, the east side, the west side, the north, the south. Of course, we are an island here in Manhattan. Has been sealed off. Uh, one can only guess that uh, that the U.S. Armed Forces is now in a state of high alert to prevent any planes or any other vehicular travel, uh, vehicular traffic in the air uh, from impacting anywhere in Manhattan on civilian targets. Uh, we are a city under siege right now. 
and the United States of America is is warding off any further terrorist threats on the city of Manhattan. John. All right, David, uh, we'll be checking with the Air Force to find out uh, and also with the FAA to find out what's going on with the airspace in and around Manhattan. Uh, clearly, it has happened with two planes to this point, And, uh, well, you just got to wonder what reaction happens next. Let's find out from a former special agent of the FBI. This is Joseph Contamessa, New York Special Operations. He's joining us by telephone now. Uh, Joseph, uh, how do you proceed from here? Well, clearly, uh, uh, when this particular uh, tragedy and criminal act uh, became clear, uh, the FBI, as well as all of the other national security resources, are going to be pulled immediately to identify, is there any other immediate threat? Right now, I think uh, the city is probably taking its best uh, effort now to do a lockdown of sorts. If the intention of these terrorists is clearly to disrupt the American public, well, they have, in fact, succeeded. Yeah, clearly um, a lot of people are terrified. There are going to be scores, perhaps hundreds of, of dead in those two buildings, to say nothing of the, uh, to say nothing of the people who, who may have been on board uh, one of the airliners. Again, the report, one report is that a hijacked airliner there the fbi is looking uh at a report of a hijacked airliner that may have been the first one to slam into the uh, north tower of the world trade center uh, a couple of minutes before nine this morning uh, agent contamessa Kasim- what, what about the airspace can the are there plans in place in a situation like this can the federal government simply shut down the airspace and keep all uh, airplanes on the ground? Well, of course, uh, any legitimate aircraft can be controlled totally through the FAA and the various uh, control centers and towers. However, a hijacked aircraft uh, that is under control of... I want to interrupt you for just a minute. The White House is being evacuated. That comes to us from one of our uh, Fox producers in Washington. The White House is being evacuated. The Pentagon as well. It should be noted that there are sharpshooters on the roof of the White House who have anti-aircraft missiles for just this kind of situation. But the White House is being evacuated. Now, you know that President Bush is not there. He is at this moment in Florida, perhaps boarding Air Force One to prepare to return to the nation's capital. I don't want to incite any undue panic, but there is a report, a report only of another aircraft that has crashed on Interstate 395, one of the main routes in Washington, D.C. Now, that is only a report at this point, but given the pictures you're seeing on your screen right now, anything is possible. David Asman is joining us from Fox Central. David, what do you have? John, we we are hearing right now of another explosion that have t- has taken place at the Pentagon. We have the heart of the financial district of America being attacked. Now we understand that there is an explosion, there has been an explosion in the Pentagon, the heart of the military uh, command center of the United States of America, John. It can't get much worse than this. Let's hope. Let's hope. David Asman. Uh, that would be right next to Interstate 395. So that report, the Pentagon uh, is next to I-395, one of the main commuter uh, highways in and out of Washington, D.C., 
So, David, that would fit in with this report that we had earlier. We must, as we've said before, uh, not only have we not heard that uh, a, a city is under a lockdown, but we must say we've seen uh, schools under siege. We must say now that we are a nation under siege. Right now, we are a nation under siege. There is a terrorist attack, as you can see, at the heart of the financial capital of the world. And now one at the heart of the military command center of the United States of America, the Pentagon. Apparently, there has been an explosion. We have no further details. We don't know the extent of that, but we do have word that there's been an explosion at the Pentagon as and well. And there, there are some uh, smoke uh, clouds um, that we can see uh, in, in, that is the Washington, D.C. area. So you're looking at, I think that's the, uh, obviously, the old executive office building. Uh, in the foreground, uh, perhaps uh, looking out over uh, with the White House uh, to the left. Uh, now we're back looking at the World Trade Center. Uh, this obviously the most public type of attack. Uh, these uh, this video shown across the world. You have to wonder uh, if the uh, terrorists who uh, are responsible for this horrible act are now watching these very same pictures that we are. Well, I, I have a feeling. I have a feeling they are. Brian Wilson, our Washington correspondent, is on Capitol Hill. Brian, uh, what can you tell us? Well, I can tell you that there was no uh, increased security around the Capitol as I made my way into the building. But in the last few minutes, we have seen a great deal of action around the city. There is smoke just across the river from the White House, not that far. And as you know, in the last few minutes, there are reports that the Pentagon has been evacuated and the White House is being evacuated. Clearly, you're seeing now these pictures from Washington, D.C., as we try to determine exactly what has happened there. But there was an early report of a plane perhaps going down in that area. These are early reports, and we are still struggling to confirm the information. But we can tell you that they're taking things very seriously in Washington in that they are apparently evacuating the White House and the Pentagon. Here at Capitol Hill, Laura Bush is now speaking with Ted Kennedy. Uh, a hearing that was scheduled uh, for her to appear at has been canceled. Uh, we would uh, be watching very carefully to see whether she is also asked to leave the Capitol and go to a safe place. Yeah, Brian Wilson, the Capitol is being evacuated, we're told. And uh, clearly that, that shot that uh, we have on our screen now, this is the Pentagon just across the river from Washington, D.C. You've got to believe that uh, it has happened again. Another large airliner, perhaps hijacked, perhaps part of some uh, widespread plan, apparently slamming into at least the area around the Pentagon, along with uh, the World Trade Center in Manhattan, the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in Manhattan. The Sears Tower in Chicago is being evacuated. Uh, clearly, authorities all over the country are, are trying to be prudent uh, in this unbelievable catastrophe. Two towers of the World Trade Center uh, 50,000 people who work in those buildings on fire, the fire out of control. Firefighters are going to take days, perhaps, to get this under control. But the, the Twin Towers on fire as uh, after being slammed into by two jetliners earlier this morning. Bill, Bill Daly, let me bring you into the conversation. Actually, yeah. Bill, let me interrupt for just a second. Molly Falconer has some updated information for us. Molly? Molly Falconer, are you with us? All right, Bill Daly, let me go back to you for a minute. Clearly a coordinated strike. Uh, my heart is pounding. I'm sure yours is as well. 
what does the FBI do at this point? What does the nation's military do? Well, certainly the nation's military will be put on on alert. Uh, this is no doubt about it. Is that you know when in the in the gaming of looking at at potential terrorist events, it's always the concern, as David Asman mentioned earlier, that there'll be some type of diversionary incident, uh, and there'll be several others. And I think clearly this is what we're seeing here. The uh, the concern is that uh, when a terrorist strikes like this, is that they're going to want to do as much as they can, as quick as they can, because before you know it, they'll be um, everything will be locked down, as David said, and we will be on a high state of alert. So their chance of doing something more anytime soon will be very uh, will be nil. Will be the, uh, the opportunity to do that. Also, just speaking from personal perspective, um, having worked down in the area of the World Trade Center, having been down there as recently as yesterday, um, I can tell you that logistically. Um, to get people in and out of there, people who are wounded, uh, fire rescue people, is a, a monumental effort, even on a good day, with traffic, with pedestrians in the area. We have the World Financial Center just literally across the street, which I'm sure has, has probably incurred some uh, debris shattering upon it. Uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous logistical, uh, I would say at this point, challenge and nightmare for uh, people who are trying to rescue, put out the fires that are being, I'm sure, fueled by the, the, the jet fuel as well as uh, the interior of the building. We now understand that the Federal Aviation Administration is shutting down all airport airline takeoffs nationwide. All airliners nationwide are being, are, there will be no more takeoffs. And I imagine uh, that the planes that are in the air right now are going to be diverted to the closest airport as soon as possible because in a situation like this, the authorities don't know where the next one might come from, the next rogue aircraft. We have seen the World Trade Center, both towers hit by jetliners. We've seen the Pentagon apparently hit by a jetliner. Uh, authorities want to take every precaution they can, and so all aircraft takeoffs nationwide have been stopped. You've got to think that that is an indication, that that is an indication one would suspect that this was a hijacking, at least one of them was a hijacking, because that would indicate that they don't know if there is another plane would be coming from. And one way to prevent a uh, repeat, whether it would be a fourth attack, if, the, if that's indeed what happened out of the Pentagon. Well, and uh, we are looking at like pictures of the, the Pentagon area now, Eric, and it, it's quite clear from the smoke cloud that uh, some enormous explosion hit there. Is the, uh, would the Pentagon be protected by uh, anti-aircraft uh, missiles such as uh, are at the White House, believed to be at the White House roof? Perhaps this plane, that if it was a plane uh, at the Pentagon, was heading toward the Pentagon, could it have been shot down by our military before it got there? Uh, because that appears to be uh, smoke uh, from jet fuel a little bit away, away uh, from the Pentagon, not on the building, actual building itself, uh, as we look at this. But let me again say the plane that I saw was heading in, here in Manhattan. The first plane that I believe was heading south It was uh, above Fifth Avenue at a low altitude, which is very, which was rare, but it was it is a, a usual jet route from planes, especially planes that are vectored down from the north, uh, whether it be from Canada or whether it be uh, from Boston. Uh, as uh, Rita Cosby, our colleague, had reported, uh, there are sources telling her that perhaps it was a uh, one one of the planes was a hijacked plane from uh, Boston. We have witnesses at the Pentagon who say that a helicopter was near. Uh, the Pentagon, and then there was an explosion. So, uh, again, uh, folks, stay with us. This is all coming. Uh, break. You can imagine uh, the catastrophe that we're trying to deal with here, but uh, clearly three explosions, World Trade Center, 
one outside or very near the Pentagon. Molly Falconer is at one of the New York area hospitals and has some updated information on uh, the number of injuries. Molly? Hi, John. I'm coming to you live from downtown Manhattan, where St. Vincent's Hospital basically looks like it is under siege. There are flares out forming a block perimeter around this hospital. I've watched one victim come out of an ambulance, go in on a stretcher. They look uh, exceedingly injured, and right now there are hospital beds lined up on the street right outside the hospital, waiting with paramedics right them for the waves of injuries they are expecting to come in here. There's yet another one. I don't know if you can hear the sirens coming in now. Uh, New York City police officers have uh, locked this place down with wooden barricades. More coming in on trucks right now. I'm watching lit flares get put in the asphalt here. Um, there are hundreds of people lined up all around this hospital and lines and lines of people trying to get on payphones and hard lines just to get out to call into the hospital or call their loved ones. Um, nothing works down here. Our cell phones are down. All we can watch now are just the sirens and the paramedics on standby. Um, the entire hospital staff. All right, we have lost Molly Falconer's connection, and that would not be unusual given the fact that the World Trade Center is a hub of communications in this city, uh, as well as being a, a, a nationwide financial link. Uh, folks, it just bears repeating here. Uh, this is a tremendous tragedy, yes, but we are still the most powerful nation on earth. Uh, we perhaps will one day find who is responsible and, uh, and appropriate steps will be taken. They have not struck at America. Uh, they have struck at some individual places in America, uh, but uh, uh, this country will go on. Let's go on to David Asman in Fox Central. David? John, as we've mentioned before, our job right now, the job of the armed forces of the United States, is to prevent any further terrorist attack. As a result of that, not only is the city of New York in a lockdown status, all entrances to New York have been closed, all airports nationwide have been closed, but indeed the White House has been evacuated, the Pentagon, of course, having been struck, uh, by some terrorist act. We're not sure whether it was an aircraft, what kind of an aircraft, but clearly the devastation is visible on the right hand of your screen. Uh, the Pentagon is in flames, is engulfed in smoke, as is the World Trade Centers. Uh, the Sears Tower in Chicago has been evacuated. Again, no specific information about whether there was a, a threatened attack on that, but no one is taking chances at the moment. The White House has been threatened as well. This is a shot earlier of that second attack you see that jet aircraft bursting into flames as it crashes into the world trade center within 20 minutes of the other trade center tower having been attacked as well uh, once again uh, the nation as we speak is under lockdown our armed forces are taking all necessary precautions to prevent another attack those include closing all united states airports as a result of this attack as you see there, one that occurred about an hour ago, and an attack at the Pentagon as well. We are a nation in lock, under lockdown. Again, we are prepared, but we are prepared. John? David Asman, thanks very much. Go to our Washington managing editor, who has uh, the outlook from the nation's capital. Britt, this raises all kinds of questions of America's response, and I guess that a response is not going to be immediate, is it? Well, whether it is immediate or not, the one thing I think we are seeing, John, is this uh, series of evacuations from various uh, buildings around Washington. 
And I think it's important to say that we don't know and have no reason to believe that the White House, for example, was uh, facing any immediate or imminent threat. The same is true on Capitol Hill, where it appears they will be evacuating uh, the building up here soon. No, uh, nothing has happened at either of those places. Obviously, if you put your, yourself in the position of officials with responsibility for any of these places, the safe move uh, in light of what we've seen is to evacuate places just as the safe move was for the uh, uh, for the authorities to close the airports to keep uh, any new planes uh, out of the sky. So uh, I think uh, we have a blend here of things that have really happened, which are chilling in themselves and things that are happening out of precaution that may or may not denote any particular threat. So it's worth uh, worth keeping all that in mind as for whether there'll be any retaliatory action by the United States. Obviously, that's uh, days away and we're, you know, if not longer we may, uh, it may be a long time before we know exactly how this was orchestrated, organized, by whom, and so on. Uh, this, of course, though, John, I think this is one of these days where we can say that things will not again be the same in the United States of America. This is the kind of terrorist attack that is the nightmare that uh, experts and others have warned about, uh, but some of us may have thought really could not happen on such a scale. This is quite remarkable. It is that. Uh, Britt Hume in Washington, thanks very much. And uh, I think when the investigation is all over, uh, we will find that this was perhaps somewhat easy to pull off, but uh, that is yet to come. Jim Angle is joining us now from Washington. Uh, Jim, what can you tell us about that fire outside the Pentagon? Jim Angle, are you with us? Uh, I can tell you that the roads around the White House, the streets around the White House, were blocked seconds ago. Uh, members of the Uniformed Division of the Secret Service ran out to intersections and started diverting traffic. There are emergency vehicles on almost every block around the White House. The road south of the White House has also been blocked. And as you know, the White House is being evacuated. Federal employees are standing on the street corners in and around the White House, uh, having left the building for fear of another attack. As you come into Washington from Virginia, about two miles from the Pentagon, you can see the smoke billowing up from the building, huge clouds of smoke, so much so that commuters coming into town have over to the side of a busy freeway, ordinarily a busy freeway, and are sitting watching in amazement as the symbol of the United States Defense Establishment uh, goes up in smoke. So there is an amazement all over Washington. Uh, people are not sure what to think. Uh, you've got a lot of federal employees standing around in this area watching as the streets are blocked off and emergency vehicles rush to and fro. We're not sure uh, what they are up to, uh, but clearly there is concern about the safety of the White House and the surrounding buildings. John. Uh, Jim, do you know anything about uh, what kind of uh, plane or helicopter uh, is involved in that Pentagon incident? I do not, but I can tell you uh, whatever it is, it caused substantial uh, damage and fire. Uh, I can't tell you how large the smoke plumes are coming from the Pentagon. Uh, it Folks, is, it, Jim, it let is, me interrupt it, you. Uh, we are looking at live pictures of the World Trade Center literally starting to crumble. It is, it is falling apart as, uh, as we watch these pictures live. The World Trade Center, 110 stories, literally starting to fall. Bill Daly, let me bring you into the conversation. I know this was the goal of the terrorist strike back in 1993. Yeah, John, it, it was, and uh, they thought they could do it by putting charges down in the basement and, uh, and damaging the, the understructure. 
Um, as much as these buildings were, were built to withstand uh, a, a certain large hit, including some aircraft, apparently uh, the structural integrity appears, from what we can see here, uh, to be faltering to some degree. They were not designed, perhaps, to take a direct strike from something the size of a 737 or perhaps a, an Airbus, perhaps fully loaded with fuel. Steel will melt. And uh, that, all right, uh, David Lee Miller is, uh, is still with us. Uh, David, what can you tell us? David Lee Miller, can you tell us uh, what happened there? All right, David Lee Miller, who has seen his share of horrors around the world in trouble spots in the Middle East and elsewhere, is in that area uh, reporting on what we think we can see. I, I want to stress it's, it's tough to... Hello? Yeah, David Lee, what can you tell us? John, uh, the scene is horrific. One of the two towers literally collapsed. I was making my way to the foot of the World Trade Center suddenly while talking to an officer was questioning me about my press credentials. We heard a very loud blast and explosion. We looked up, and the uh, building literally began to collapse before us. There was uh, debris falling, uh, I'd say, at least three-quarters the height of the building. People within uh, the entire perimeter began literally, including myself, which is why I'm out of breath, to run for our lives. And I am now standing... Uh, in a black cloud of, of, of smoke left over from the debris, debris there, soot. It's difficult to breathe. People ran into nearby office buildings once they got out of the danger zone just to be able to breathe. I'm on a payphone on the street right now, and I literally cannot see more than a quarter block away. That's how thick the smoke is. I'm on Murray Street and West Broadway, for those who know lower Manhattan. Not clear now is why this uh, explosion took place. Was uh, it because of the uh, the planes that uh, two planes attacked this morning, or was there some other attack which there has been talk on the street? But I can tell you that uh, the police have moved people back, and it's going to be a long time. Yeah, David, uh, we are looking at the replay of what happened that you're describing. It happened just moments ago. It sure appears that the building simply collapsed Hello? based yeah david if you're if you're still with us please keep on the line it, it appears that the building simply collapsed of its own weight that there was so much damage uh from the heat of the fire uh, as i said steel will melt the the second that was the 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 building that was hit by the second plane the, the plane that we actually saw hit the building live during our coverage uh, that is the building that has just collapsed. Now, it, it bears noting that that plane seemed to come in at a lower altitude. It hit the building lower down, and there was that tremendous fireball. So the damage to the building uh, came at a point where there is much more weight on top of it, and those steel girders, strong as they are, had a lot of weight to support, and apparently, I'm, just, uh, I'm not a structural engineer, but I'm, I'm just guessing now that they gave way. The loss of life here is going to be enormous. May, may uh, God help those who are there and the victims and their families uh, and all the souls that are lost today. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that virtually every family in America is going to be touched by this, uh, by this disaster. This is what the uh, terrorists back in 1993 tried to accomplish when they uh, drove a uh, van laden full of bombs into the garage. Uh, apparently they were successful. John? Let me bring in the former governor of New York, Mario Cuomo. He's with us by telephone now. Governor, 
what's your reaction? That's the only thing I can ask you. It's the same as everyone else's. Uh, everybody now is, is holding their breath and measuring the extent of the tragedy as it grows from moment to moment. And that will be the story, I'm sure, for the next uh, 24 hours is how much damage was done. I think the longer range story is even more terrible. The longer range story is who did it and why. And if it were a nation, it would be easy to deal with, but it's not a nation. It'll be individual Excuse terrorists. Excuse me, Governor, can you hold hold on for just a second? From the tower, from right to left, I guess, west to east, and it just, everything just all of a sudden just imploded. I ran as fast as I could, went inside of a building about a block away. I stood in the building for a couple of seconds, and then all of a sudden the building started falling out, filling up with smoke. I was with a bunch of law enforcement officers. We couldn't get out of the building because everything was locked up. And then I came out, and everything was filled with ash, and it looks like I'm, looks like I'm in a surreal movie. Do you, do you know if it was an explosion or if it was a building collapse? To me, it sounded like it, to me it sounded like an explosion. Then, then the building, the rolling sound sounded like the building collapsed. Were, were there other people? There must have been a lot of people on the ground nearby when it happened. Well, mo where that happened, there was mostly law enforcement. I don't think there were many uh, civilians there. I don't know. Don't move, Pat. How many, how many people would you say were on the ground when the uh, when the building exploded or collapsed? Law enforcement, they, I don't. I, over on that corner, there, I don't know. There might have been, there might have been a hundred, hundred fifty. I don't know. What's your, what's your full name, officer? Police officer Gronowski. All right. Thanks a lot. Good luck. Folks, you're you're looking at live pictures on the left of your screen. On the right of your screen, this is, uh, the uh, one of the twin towers of the World Center. There's thick ash on the ground. Pandemonium here a short time ago when the building did collapse or whatever it was that happened. It was a huge explosion, a huge rumbling cloud of smoke and fire came across Church Street and then started billowing this way. And all we saw was, was people were people running in this direction. Everyone, law enforcement people, a woman pushing a baby carriage. This is actually a we believe debris from one of the planes that hit one of the towers on the World Trade Center. The FBI is here, as you can see. They had roped this area off. They were taking photographs and securing this area just prior to that huge explosion that we all heard and felt. We, uh, we'll try and talk to some of these guys. Can you tell me what you saw, what you heard? You all right? All right. Thank Where were, where were you, sir, when that happened? Right on the street. <laughs> what did you see? What did you hear? It felt like another plane coming. Everybody took cover to run. We ran down the subway, but the dust followed us down there. Were there, there a lot of people in the subway? Uh, no, not that many, because they already had evacuated before. Did you see people, anyone in danger, anyone getting hit when this? Not back there, yeah, but I was running. I mean, there was nothing you can do because you just saw the thing coming right over. Have you seen, were you able to see the tower after? No. Wait, what do you mean, since it happened now? Since oh, the fire? Look at this guy, look at this guy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The streets have been shut down. Uh, there was very little traffic on the streets except for emergency vehicles going one way or the other. So there was not a lot of vehicle traffic in this area. But there were a lot of pedestrians on almost every single corner taking photographs and, and just looking at the building, which was still smoking and still on fire. A lot of police officers had the officials up there that were right near the building. 
Where were you when the explosion occurred, when the plane hit the building? I was, uh, I saw it from my office, as a matter of fact, down the Lower East Side. So, you came here? Yes. To check it out? Help. No, what, what do you mean? To see if we can help, but this is... Uh, yeah. This poor woman. Wow. Rick Leventhal is the one reporting on the ground. He's not able to hear me at this moment. Uh, but Rick... Just the, just the sound of a plane. Star jet, star jet. Star jet. All right. What, what are you guys doing right now? What's your, what's your assignment? What's your assignment? Help people. Are there a lot of injured? The, uh, the the dust is still thick in the air. What, what that guy is covered with is, is this stuff that's all over the street. Just thick soot, ash. Just came roaring down here in a huge cloud from the World Trade Center. You see just the, the survivors, if you will. Are you able to talk? Can we just talk to you about what happened? I was by Sam on the scooters. You were right there at the building? Yes, a lot of people trapped. A lot of people trapped. EMT. This guy needs help. Rick Leventhal is not able to hear me, but from his vantage point on the ground, I think it's not clear to him what's fairly clear to us, our vantage point from the helicopter, that the top of Tower 1, One World Trade Center, has literally crumbled. I can't guess how many floors, perhaps... 30, perhaps 40. I think the tower itself is what I think 100 stories tall, or one in Tower 2, uh, one in the south end, one in the uh, north end. Uh, it appears that the plane, the first plane that hit, hit the one in the north end. Uh, that has the, uh, the restaurant, Windows in the World upstairs, and then the south towers appears to be the one that was hit uh, the second time. That has the observation deck. Uh, that is a uh, is a obviously popular tourist attraction uh, for, for for people. So clearly, as we see, a pandemonium. But uh, you know, the uh, John, the uh, FBI, and the uh, New York City Police Department have the Joint Terrorist Task Force. They have uh, obviously experience with this. They were able to solve uh, the others, and I'm confident, and we should be confident that. Let Let's go to Brian Wilson now. He is he's at the uh, in Washington. Brian, is there a report of, about the Pentagon? Well, I can't tell you about that, but I was just here in front of the Capitol, which, by the way, has been evacuated. And back toward the Supreme Court area, we just heard a low, muffled thud. It sounded like a small explosion. Sirens are going off around this city like you cannot believe. And just overhead a moment ago, something I have never seen in Washington in the 16 years I've been here, military jets are, uh, are now patrolling the skies over Washington, D.C., We'll try to find out more about that explosion, but it was a low thud, and I'm now seeing that there is a great deal of activity over toward the direction of the Supreme Court. All right. Back to you, John. Britt Hume is with us. Britt? Uh, John, I'm looking now uh, on one of our remote uh, uh, cameras here at a picture of the scene at the Pentagon. This is a picture uh, looking down Interstate 395, which is, you probably know, John, is a major thoroughfare in and out of Washington that is commuted, used for by commuters every day in large numbers and we're getting a sense that uh, from a reporter out there at the scene has just said that there's been another loud bang out there whether that is an, a further explosion uh, initiated in an attack or whether it is simply a secondary 
blast a result of the continuing fire. But uh, the situation there at the Pentagon continues to evolve. We'll keep you posted. All right. Britt Hume in Washington. Thank you. Our Rick Leventhal is on the ground in lower Manhattan. Scenes of chaos and utter confusion are just mind-numbing. Rick, uh, go ahead. Rick is not able to hear me, but this is the scene in lower Manhattan where where the upper Again, floors of the World Trade Center, Tower 1, apparently have completely collapsed. Five blocks from the World Trade Center, and, and we were standing here when, when there was some sort of collapse or explosion, and everyone started running in this direction. Police officers, pedestrians, EMTs, everybody came running this way. I saw a woman pushing a, a, a baby carriage, running for her life, and right behind them was a huge cloud of billowing smoke and ash and debris coming this way. Uh, the smoke is obviously cleared somewhat. Ma'am, she's with DCPI. Can you talk to us for just a second? Bring us up to speed. Obviously, people have their hands full out here. It's not easy getting anyone to talk. Yeah, tell me where you were. What happened? What did you okay. see? What did you hear? First, I went on Canal Street. I saw the fire. I saw the two buildings. I'm thinking it was, a, it was a bomb because two of them. Anyway, when I got there, I tried to save people because I'm a doctor. When I try to say people, in the moment we heard a big explosion coming down, everything just went black. Everything came down, glass are popping, people got hurt, stuff went on top of them, and it was a big explosion. Everything got dark, real dark, like snow. You can see behind me, oh, this is not snow, this is all from the building. It was a terrible nightmare. Where exactly were you standing when this happened? I was standing right in front of the Wells Trade Center. So you were down the block here? And right you came there, the middle, right, yeah. Everything, Did you get hurt at all? No, not me. Did you see anyone around you getting caught up in it? Yeah, we was, uh, was, was with the firemen. We all we got hurt. We all went inside to this dark. We went inside the building where everything happened. But we came out alive. What's the, your name? My name is Dr. Angel. Did, were you able to, to assist anyone before this happened? Yes, I did. I, I, I helped a lot of patients. A lot of them. Well, there are a lot more people that need help they now. Need help, so if, yeah. you're, if you're capable, maybe you should... Uh... Uh, yes, I'm going to go back. I lost my ID, but I try to go back. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for all talking right. to us. Thanks. All right, we, uh, that's, that's what Rick Leventhal has for us down in lower Manhattan where chaos and utter confusion reigns. This is clearly a national catastrophe. There will be some response from the White House. Let's go to Wendell Goler, who was traveling with the president in uh, Sarasota, Florida, and find out what the latest is there. Wendell? John, the president left Sarasota, Florida. Air Force One uh, took off just a short while ago, Mr. Bush returning to Washington to convene a meeting of his national security advisors, including the vice president, the heads of the CIA, the National Security Agency, and the FBI, and also New York Governor Pataki. It is unclear now whether that meeting will be held at the White House or elsewhere, given the explosion uh, just a, a short distance away from the White House on the other side of the old executive office building and the evacuation of the White House itself. Mr. Bush cut short a, a two-day trip here in Florida that was focused on education after the two attacks uh, on, on the Twin Towers in New York. He was briefed by his national security advisor, uh, Condoleezza Rice, who phoned him after the first attack. Mr. Bush was actually reading to some children when uh, the second attack occurred. Chief of Staff Andy Card interrupted him, told him about the attack. It was clear at that point we were dealing with terrorists. Mr. Bush cut short his uh, trip and flew back to Washington. John? All right, when, thank you. Just wanted to up. Some of the hospitals in New York are already at capacity, not accepting any. 
there could be tens of thousands of injuries. Let's listen into what uh, Rick Leventhal is learning down in Lower Manhattan. Lying down, and then I looked up and I saw the and I saw this huge plume of smoke and the tower just crumbling, and it and it just turned into a huge plume of smoke. And next thing you know, there's smoke in one tower, and that's what we're seeing right here. So, and obviously, uh, people are worried about the, the press agents and everybody else that went the other way. Is everybody wants went this way? When you saw this collapse taking place, could you see if there were a lot of people on the ground near the building as it no, was happening? No, I was I was further north than you were, but I was dead looking at Sixth Avenue. The view you see of both towers as you come right. down Sixth Avenue. Right. So, and the, most of this fallout stops about four blocks back. Give me a look down this way, Pat. Uh, you know, it does sort of look like beyond a few blocks down, it, it looks almost clear. But it's anything but over here. I live at 25 Lone Street, a couple of blocks from here. I'm all the time I hang out in the corner on the liquor store this morning. I saw the plane coming this way in the spot. Both factory directly to the building. Was this the first plane or the second plane? Just was the first plane. The second plane, this, no second plane. It was a bomb. Bomb in another building, not second plane. That was a bomb. Right. Who said the second plane? That's what we're told. The second plane, no, we saw it on television. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, this is... In case you're just joining us, uh, this is the aftermath of a horrific event that began unfolding about an hour and 20 minutes ago. A jet plane slammed into the side of uh, Tower 2 of the World Trade Center. Then a few minutes later, another jet slammed into Tower 1. The second tower one, I should say, the upper floors have collapsed. They're absolutely gone. Uh, I, was, I was in the restroom. There was a, a, a big shaking. Some of the ceilings collapsed. Looks like there was a fire in the elevator shafts. And um, uh, just they, they brought everyone down and started bringing everybody upstairs. So you came down from the 77th floor. 77th floor. Down the stairs. Yes. What, what was happening around Screaming? No, no, people were pretty calm. <clears throat> when we got down to sixth floor, there was like another shake or another explosion. Everyone started panicking, but everybody was really calm, and the police and firemen were very helpful. Which of the two towers were you in? One. Trade Center one. All right. And when you got to the ground, then what? Uh, it's just like, it's like rubble and dust, like inches thick and like paper, <clears throat> paper, <clears throat> paper everywhere, and they just moved us out. How many people do you think were in the building on the floors that were affected? What I, do you I, think? Say, I mean, I'm one one office out of 20 floors, so I have no idea. How how far above you or below you was the uh, impact? I think it was up us above us. I don't know how many floors. We saw it on TV, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. What's the first thing you thought when you heard it? I had, had to call my wife. Did you? Were you yeah. able to? Yeah, I, I got through a phone line. I called her. I'm talking to you because I'm hoping she's watching so she knows I'm okay. What's your name? My name is Matthew right. Gard. Folks, clearly America is under attack. We can only hope that it's over, at least for now. Our David Schuster is in Washington, where there have been one, perhaps two explosions at the Pentagon. David, uh, what can you tell us? John, I'm actually in our office here at the Pentagon, and according to counterintelligence sources, they confirmed that it was a plane that crashed into the south end of the Pentagon near the helipad. Uh, this is a route that... Uh, commercial aircraft flying into National Airport, which is just a few miles away. They take sometimes on final approach as they come to the airport. But again, intelligence sources, counterintelligence sources confirming that it was a plane that crashed 
on the side of the Pentagon. Now, here in our Pentagon officer, producer Chris Wright, says that there was no uh, shaking of the building or even sounds. Of course, the Pentagon is built to withstand attacks uh, perhaps like this one. Uh, but we are getting reports from eyewitnesses who were on uh, Highway 110, which is just uh, west of the Pentagon. One eyewitness claiming that he saw a U.S. Air 737 plane headed toward all right, let's uh, listen in now to WTTG's coverage there outside the Pentagon. This is coming to you from the Washington, D.C. area. Okay, thank you. Hello? The, Pen the Pentagon, the world's largest office building, being evacuated. Uh, Britt Hume, our Washington managing editor, is still with us. Uh, uh, Britt, go ahead. Well, John, what you're seeing there is that is the uh, interstate uh, or the Route 395, used to be known as the Shirley Highway, that comes up into Washington, as I mentioned earlier, a familiar commuter route. And what you're seeing there are the military personnel evacuating the building. Uh, some, as you know, as we noted just a minute ago, or as you could see just a minute ago, were on the run. Now, we have, John, from, uh, from sources, intelligence sources, what may be a claim of responsibility here. Now, I want to caution you before I note this that at times like these, all sorts of uh, claims are made. So this needs to be treated uh, with some caution. But some intelligence sources are now saying that the Democratic Front for the Liberation of Palestine is claiming credit. In the meantime, however, the Israeli government is said by sources to believe that Osama bin Laden is responsible for the operation. And those two organizations are related, but they are not exactly the same. I suspect, John, before all is said and done, we will hear more on that aspect of all this. But obviously that is something that we're all keeping an eye on to see if some kind of uh, authenticatable or, or uh, credible claim of responsibility for these astonishing attacks uh, is made that we can, we can believe. Again, you're looking again at the, uh, at the, uh, at the interstate road, that, interstate Route 395 that runs down past the Pentagon. Uh, that is just, of course, across the river from, from Washington, D.C. And the smoke you're seeing is indeed from the area out by the helipad, which can be seen by drivers as they go by the Pentagon. And uh, and uh, you're seeing the smoke uh, from it. It appeared from some pictures we saw earlier, John, of the building itself, that while it was clearly damaged and in the area where the hit was uh, very uh, badly damaged, uh, it did not look like the damage to the overall building, which is massive, was all that extensive. Right. Well, that is uh, perhaps a touch of good news. Brit, Brit Hume, thanks very much. Let's go back to our man in lower Manhattan, Rick Leventhal, who is, again, not able to hear us, but... Uh, trying to bring you from the ground the perspective of of what he witnessed felt and heard and i think ricky is not clearly aware as we are that the upper floors of tower one of the world trade center have collapsed completely and you know it felt like a bomb hit or a plane hit or something like that but the whole plane did hit plane did hit yeah and then we looked out the window all we saw was debris all over the place. But we thought the building was going to topple over. It was going so well, One shaky. of them did. One of them did. We were in town one. We made it out. Well, you're a lucky man. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks. All right. Take care. Clearly, this is a nationwide catastrophe, but folks, uh, phone lines in New York are virtually shut down, so you're not going to be able to call your loved ones if you have any other way, perhaps email. If you have any other way of contacting your loved ones, try and do it without using the telephone because telephone lines in New York are at gridlock right now. Let's listen in again to this eyewitness. I have a lot of faith in God, and a lot of other people made it out the building as I did. All right. Thank you.
what you saw. Stop and talk to us. Where were you? Top of the roof, 25 Park Place. Me and a super so heard the loud noise from a jet. We look up and we see this big jet, like a 737 or a 727. It was a 757? About that, it was a big jet. Yeah. We saw it come just looking like it sideways. At first, we thought it was just going to try to miss it. Bang! Right into the middle of it, uh, in, like around the 70th floor. And then half hour later, we see the second one bang into it. We're on the roof of it. We're a block away. I mean, what's going through your mind when you see this happen? You see bodies flying out of the sky, and you can't do nothing about it. You tell me. You tell me what you think. I mean, uh, my heart's in my mouth. I mean, I, I pray for these people. It's, it's, there's no words to describe what's going on out there. I mean, you see bodies. Half hour later, still coming out of the goddamn Devastating. Devastating. I can't imagine anything worse than this. There's got to be. I can't imagine somebody on a plane must have died. Floor. I got friends of mine on a fourth floor. Friends on other buildings. I just spoke friends a half hour prior to that. Getting ready to go upstairs to go to work. I mean, I've seen a lot of construction accidents. I've seen a lot of bad things happen. I've seen a jet fall out of the sky into a building. No less once, but twice. Devastating. I want to bring into the uh, conversation uh, General Al Haig, the former Secretary of State. Now, General Haig, at a time like this, what, how does America respond prudently with the proper amount of caution and, and yet with, with whatever force needs to be applied? Well, first, we have to know the, the full limits of this tragedy, and it's unprecedented, of course. Uh, but we have to stay, above all, united and calm and ready to take resolute action, which we have failed to do in the recent past. When the perpetrators are covered, and we have many, many uh, indicators of precisely who they are, uh, this was too broadly based a terrorist act to be just a, a few crazies. This is a, a terrorist movement, and we know where they're, where they're located today. And obviously, as a nation, we're going to have to take action against them. But uh, clearly that action is going to be some days, if not weeks or months away. Oh, it has to be very carefully assessed before any action is taken, of course. And we have to be uh, reasonably assured that uh, those that we are moving against are the, the perpetrators. And, and I think we know where to center our look. Uh, all we have to do is look at the world today with the Palestinian and, and bin Laden groups. Who, who, who are the terrorists that you think are the most likely suspects? Well, I'm not going to speculate. Because, uh, I don't have inside knowledge. It would be uh, rather foolish to do. But I do think we have the means to assess it. And there will be many statements, many uh, parties claiming credit. Some have already have done so for the World Trade Center uh, bombings. Clearly, with what's going on in the skies where even apparently innocent civilian airliners can be employed as, as weapons of terrorists. What is our military doing right now, General Haig? What should they be doing? Well, they have to be on full alert, and I would have hoped that we would get some aircraft up in the air to enforce the ban on flights. Uh, that has to be done if it has not already been done. And I'm sure it has been. All right, General uh, Alexander Haig, former Secretary of State, thanks for being with us. Uh, Rick Leventhal, once again, producer Carlos Van Meek is in Lower Manhattan. You cannot even see the sky there because of the soot, the ash, the 
concrete that is continuing to rain down after one of the two towers of the World Trade Center, the upper floors, collapsed. This after this apparent terrorist attack this morning that sent a, a large jetliner, perhaps two large jetliners, slamming into the Twin Towers. Come over this way, Pat. You can see Fine. the chaos. We can see the top of the building from here. Oh, yeah. Oh, there it goes. There it goes. There it goes. There it goes. Oh, when it comes down, we're... All right. We do need to put it down now. I think we need to put it down now. Here we go. According to American Airlines, American Airlines is confirming that its Flight 11 from Boston to Los Angeles was hijacked today and that its plane was the first one involved in this attack on the World Trade Center. Brian Wilson is on the phone with us now from the Washington area. Brian, what's the latest? Well, I wanted to tell you, John, that I'm in front of the Capitol, and a moment ago, police officers ran up to us and ordered us off of the grounds and told us, and I quote, there is a plane that has been hijacked. It is 20 minutes south of Washington. This was about 10 minutes ago, and is headed this way. They are taking ultimate precautions. Now, as you know, in these chaotic situations, sometimes information gets twisted. But police officers here are saying that they believe there is a hijacked plane now headed toward Washington. And that's all the information I can give you at this moment. All right, Brian, uh, we had a report from you earlier that military aircraft are circling the Capitol. Is that still the case? They, they have not seen them in the last few minutes, but there were military jets above the Capitol a few moments ago. Of course, you know, John, this has been the nightmare scenario for uh, security experts in Washington, that uh, many of the buildings in Washington, very visible from the air, are vulnerable. In fact, the flight path to National Airport runs literally blocks from the White House. It's always been a big concern. But again, to repeat the information that I have here, Capitol Police have completely evacuated the grounds of the Capitol, and they have told us, quote, there is a plane that's been hijacked. It is south of Washington this way. Now, the reliability of the information I cannot give you, but that's what police have told us. All right, Brian Wilson, thank you, and uh, let us know if you come up with any new information. It is, it is hard to describe, folks. The, the pictures show what has happened in lower Manhattan, but we don't have a handle yet on the devastation. I, I remind you again that there are perhaps 50,000 people who work in the World Trade Centers uh, the two towers, and, and those towers are virtually gone now after this apparent terrorist strike earlier this morning. Mm -hmm. How many of those 50,000 people they were able to get out, we don't yet know. That is the heart of uh, not just the financial district, but uh, many national, international corporations. I mean, look at that smoke, the dust, the, uh, the that plume that has just engulfed blocks and blocks of lower Manhattan. Uh, you have the Wall Street Journal down there, many, many corporations and offices. So I, I think we must say a prayer and a heart certainly goes out to everyone who is there right at this moment, well as the uh, New York 
Emergency Command Center is at the foot uh, of, uh, of the World Trade Center. Uh, so uh, we, I think we, it is important for us to take a moment to say a prayer, remember these people, and, um, and hope that God gives and us Ameri grace. And, and, and take a look at the poignant picture you see there. The Statue of Liberty, folks, is still standing. And I think that's important to remember at a time like this. The World Trade Center has collapsed, and uh, the, the, the casualty figure we cannot even begin to, to guess at at this point. Our David Lee Miller is with us, we're glad to know, from the City Hall area. David Lee, what can you tell us? John, just seconds ago there was a huge explosion, and it appears right now the second World Trade Tower has just collapsed. The uh, debris and the smoke is so thick where I am that, uh, again, you cannot see the World Trade Center, even though we're just a few blocks away. But it appears the entire building has collapsed. People are literally running through the streets. They are running from uh, Center Street in Lower Manhattan, trying to get away from the smoke, which is absolutely uh, choking. It is difficult to breathe. There are people in front of me wearing gas masks. The cell phone service is virtually nonexistent. There are lines of people to use the few pay phones that are available. And uh, people are literally hysterical there in the streets worried about loved ones who were in these two buildings. Moments before the building collapsed, I was outside, and after the first collapse, the authorities began to move people away from the perimeter. They feared that the second building would collapse. They warned people of that, and they began to push people away, including reporters, including myself. And uh, right now, there's nothing here but uh, shock on the streets of Lower Manhattan. John? All right, David Lee, safe. Uh, we will be now at pictures this of... Uh second of the two World Trade Center towers collapsing after that uh, awful, awful event. Let's, let's just recap what's happened so far today. Two planes, one of them at least apparently hijacked, an American Airlines plane slammed into the side of the World Trade Center a little before 9 a.m. Uh, then, as we watch now this picture, a second plane slammed into the second tower of the World Trade Center. That tower collapsed first. It burned for a while and collapsed. And you can see pictures as that tower collapses. Um, not long ago, the second of the towers collapsed. Now, and there are perhaps 50,000 people who work in these buildings on any given day. Not all of them would have been at work yet, uh, but, uh, but clearly... Um, a great and, and monumental loss of life. Also in Washington, the Pentagon has been under attack. At least one plane slammed into the Pentagon. David Schuster is an eyewitness to that and, uh, and is joining us now. David? John, the Pentagon is now uh, being evacuated. You may be able to hear some of the sirens that are going off in the Pentagon. There's smoke billowing down the hallway. Eyewitnesses describe a, a U.S. Air 737 plane uh, on what seemed to be headed towards National Airport at approximately 9.40 this morning when it then crashed into the south end of the Pentagon. The eyewitnesses describe a huge ball of fire, the plane apparently hitting by the helipad, which is near uh, Highway 110 and Highway 395, the main arteries into the city. Uh, there have been unconfirmed reports of second explosions here at the Pentagon. We have not confirmed that. But again, the uh, counterintelligence source is confirming that it was a commercial aircraft apparently hijacked that uh, crashed into the Pentagon. The building has been evacuated. There are uh, reports of, uh, of, of safety precautions being taken at the Central Intelligence Agency, at the National Security Agency. Capitol Hill has been evacuated. The White House has been evacuated. But here at the Pentagon, 
Uh, I was actually uh, on in a taxi cab on Highway 110 when suddenly smoke started billowing out of the Pentagon. Very quickly, you heard ambulances and fire trucks headed that direction. Chris Wright, our producer at the Pentagon, who was on uh, the sort of the northern side of the Pentagon, says he could not hear the explosion or, or aftershocks or anything. Obviously, the Pentagon, a very large, meant to withstand uh, terror or any sort of other attack. But again, eyewitnesses describing a U.S. Air 737 crashing into the Pentagon at approximately 9.40 this morning. The Pentagon, except for uh, some personnel, the Pentagon being evacuated, and we can actually smell some of the smoke now in, in the hallways uh, here on the north side. John. David Schuster in Washington, thank you. Britt Hume is with us once again, our managing editor in Washington. Uh, Britt, uh, chaos and pandemonium, but... Uh, how, how, how do we, how do we uh, measure the response here? Well, John, one thing worth noting is that you're going to hear all kinds of further warnings at a time like this and, and, uh, and precautions being taken. We've just learned, for example, that uh, police have been sent to Union Station. A bomb squad has been sent to Union Station, which, as you know, John, is located just a couple of blocks from the Capitol. In fact, it's uh, just adjacent to our Fox News Bureau here in Washington. Um, one sense is that there will be many uh, squads and many alerts and many more than there will be uh, things found, but nobody's taken any chances in this town at this hour after the astonishing events that have unfolded so far here today. And, of course, you've been seeing the pictures and hearing the reports from down there at the Pentagon. Who would have imagined such a thing? Um, it appears that the damage to the Pentagon, as bad as it was, we don't have any sense of the uh, whether there was loss of life or, or how extensive it was. It, that is an attack that looks like it could have been very much worse indeed had the airplane hit in a more central area of that uh, of that building. So we're now watching, of course, the Capitol building with considerable urgency. It's uh, right out the window of our of our bureau here. Uh, because, as Brian Wilson reported, police on Capitol Hill are evacuating the place, saying that there was airplane, an airplane 20 minutes away, apparently, or they had reason to believe that it was headed this way. Now, we know their jets have been scrambled and have been in the air. It is hard to know whether a plane would ever be allowed to get close to Washington, D.C. in the air with all the uh, airports closed at the moment or not. But uh, that, obviously, is something we're watching with considerable uh, interest and worry here. All right. Uh, Britt, I just want to update you while you've been talking. Authorities at the Somerset County Airport confirm a large plane crash about 80 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. We're trying to deal with only facts today and not rumors, because there are plenty of those swirling around. But we do have a confirmation of apparently another plane crash about 80 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. You've got to assume that it's related to all of these goings on, but uh, we don't know any more information than that. Rick Leventhal, we are glad uh, to know, been... is still with us uh, in Lower Manhattan. Rick? Yeah, John, um, we just we, we basically ran about five blocks down Church Street uh, north, away from the World Trade Center, uh, as that second tower was collapsing. Uh, a similar scene to the first one, where the smoke began, began down the street at us. Uh, and, in fact, because of the location of the tower, it actually came down cross streets. So as we were running north, on church, we were passing cross streets, and the, the black clouds of debris and smoke were, were coming towards us down the side streets as well. So we were about five blocks. 8.45 a.m. here on Saturday, September the 11th, 20 years later. I met a year ago on The Rock of Talk, and glad to be here with you this morning, memorializing. As it happened, from the time it started, you got the broadcast uh, starting uh, sharp at... Uh, 8, or actually 48, uh, our time, 8.40, their time, as things were 
beginning to uh, unfold and settle, which would change uh, the world uh, forever. Uh, but it does seem as if we have forgotten. So I think today is a jarring and an impactful reminder of where we were, what happened, and how the world changed in all of about two hours. What's not heard often are the victims of that. And I have certainly um, uh, watched many a film and talked many a time on the radio about 9-11. And uh, one of the movies that I have uh, suggested to people is to watch about the individuals who were in there. As we're all watching the media and thinking about how you felt, we can only think about how the people felt and their stories inside the tower. Uh, most notably, the people who worked, who called that place home, who went there every day, and to think about what happened to them. And those are the things that cross my mind. What would you do if faced with a situation where you're trapped and you can't do anything about it? And you see that one tower has fallen and you know that you are likely going to meet your demise during that time. And that's something that oftentimes is not really talked about or touched upon, or I'm not sure even if some people who are out there have really thought about their, that and there. That is not what was on the coverage. That was Fox News 20 years ago. Actually, if you looked at it, had coverage. Uh, I've looked at CNN, ABC, NBC. And, of course, uh, Fox News uh, did not see CBS's uh, news coverage on that that, that morning. Um, but what I can tell you is there's nothing more impactful uh, than what you're about to hear right now, which is Voices from the Tower. If you're watching rockoftalk.tv, you can certainly watch it. Um, I'd also recommend a movie uh, to you called The Falling Man that you should definitely watch. And um, there's some other couple, two, three movies that I'll mention. We'll have a regular day of broadcasting. The Liberty Ladies will be uh, here. I'll be at the gun show from 2 to 5, uh, 2 to 4, uh, roughly, this afternoon, and then I'll be there all day tomorrow as well. So appreciate everybody uh, tuning in uh, to the special broadcast this morning. I apologize for interrupting uh, Handle on the Law. Thanks for tuning in. Watch us on rockoftalk.tv where you can watch the videos uh, as well. And uh, this is a, just one of those times that I think we should all stop and uh, remember what happened uh, to this country 20 years ago, exactly at this time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. The message that he left for me meant everything to me. I clung to it. I listened to it repeatedly in the days after. Everybody has told me that has lost loved ones, you lose the sound of their voice. I've probably listened to the message hundreds of times. It's available anytime I want to play it back. It's there. I hear it. I know it. I'm still very fragile to listen to it. And so I'm comforted to know it's there, but I don't, I don't listen to it. On September the 11th, 2001, 
nearly 3,000 families lost a loved one. The Twin Towers collapsed with such destructive force that only 300 bodies were recovered. But for some families, there is another legacy. Trapped inside the towers, many people tried to make desperate contact with the outside world. Some were able to speak on the phone. Others could only leave messages. Since that day, families have lived with the memory of these final words from their loved ones. Many of these calls have never been heard in public and are featured here for the first time. All are used with the full consent of the relatives, who only now feel ready to talk about them. These recordings shed light on what really happened inside the towers, but they also reveal something more profound about the choices people make in their final moments, who to turn to, and what to say. Uh, obviously a pretty scary experience. I saw a guy fall out of probably the 91st story all the way down. Okay. Now you can stay in the line with me. My dog, Coco, wakes me up somewhere approximately 5.30 in the morning and wants to go for a walk. So at 5.30 in the morning, I get out of bed, brush my teeth, throw some water on my face. We walk through the woods for half an hour, 40 minutes. I say a little prayer uh, every single day and talk to Melissa. So it's just, I, I know she's there. I know she's listening to me. I was the last person from the outside world that she spoke to. I'll always remember that. When you fall asleep sometimes at night and you close your eyes, you can just see her face there saying, Dad, I love you. On September the 11th, Bob Harrington's daughter, Melissa, was in New York for just one day. Age 31, she was a high-powered business executive and was there to oversee the merger of her company. The meeting was on the 101st floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. She was only going to be there that Tuesday when the merger was done. She was flying back to California the next day. We found nothing of Jim. He was completely destroyed. So the fact that I'd spoken to him means so much to me. I think that the healing process is ongoing. It's important to let people know what families of 9-11 have been experiencing, what we've been going through, what we've gone through.
we still have those memories that we don't want anybody to ever forget. Jill Gartenberg had just started a family with her 35-year-old husband, Jim. A successful real estate executive, Jim had recently accepted a promotion at a new company. On September the 11th, he had only gone in to clear his desk at his office on the 86th floor of the North Tower. Saying goodbye, I love you, is the last thing I can remember seeing him walking out the door that morning on September 11th. after American Airlines Flight 11 collided with the North Tower. The live pictures were flashed across the world. But those inside were unable to see what had happened. Desperate for information, they made more than 3,000 calls in the first 10 minutes alone. He says he's at the 105th floor at One World Trade Center. At the top of the North Tower, 100 people were attending a conference at the Windows on the World restaurant. Among them was 31-year-old Christopher Hanley, who made one of the first recorded calls to 911 emergency services that day. for me is when he asked him, please hurry and thank you. To be able to have that uh, presence uh, of mind uh, under pressure like that I thought was just remarkable. I was really proud of him. I mean, he, to be able to keep that cool and request please hurry. I think that was his last words. sonic record of that day the audible record of that day is essential because the visual record of that day is limited to the exteriors what we see with our eyes are two buildings in flight and these walls and these radio transmissions they show us through sound what we couldn't see with our eyes they're part of the fabric of the day that we wouldn't know or have any understanding of without this 
sonic record. Oh, oh. Oh, easy. There's a tree in front of my house that was planted the week after Melissa was born. The tree grew up, Melissa grew up, and uh, the tree grew up to be probably the biggest tree on the street. And Melissa grew up to be such a fine, nice, beautiful young lady. Melissa would have been 39 last week. Now the tree is probably 40, 50 feet high. When I planted it, it was five feet high and skinny as two fingers together. So, you know, I look out and I see that tree and I just remember the day she was born. September 11th started like any other morning. Woke up, put a pot of coffee in. I was making the bed and the telephone rang. I don't usually answer the phone because having been in construction my whole life, people call up, have a tendency to want you to do a job for them for nothing or give them some advice. So I don't usually answer the phone. But this morning I did. It was my daughter, Melissa. I knew she was in New York. I didn't know anything that had happened at that particular point in time. Melissa was a little hysterical. I told her, honey, you have to slow down so that your father can understand what the problem is. She got her composure, said to me, dad, I'm on 101st floor of the World Trade Center and a bomb just went off. In my bedroom was a TV set. I turned it on, happened CNN, I saw the fire, I saw the smoke. I was heartbroken. She told me the fire wasn't her major concern, but there was an awful lot of smoke. So I said to her, honey, I said, can you see an exit sign? She said, yes, dad. And I said, well, under all the exit signs, honey, are stairwells. I said, you get to that stairwell as fast as you can and get out of the building. But unknown to Melissa and her father, all three of the stairwells had been destroyed. Trapped just three floors above the impact zone, Melissa would have no means of escape. She was in trouble and she called her father for help. I was a hundred miles away. There was nothing I could but give her advice. We exchanged I love yous. And to my knowledge, I was the last person from the outside world that she spoke with. In the immediate aftermath of the attack, the emergency services were overwhelmed by thousands of calls from the North Tower. Morning, happy birthday. Wow. Okay, you want to open this? 
is Nicole. This was my favorite toy when I was two. I hope you like it. Um, I think 9-11 comes up pretty regularly in everybody's lives. I mean, you watch television, you go to an airport, anytime you travel. You didn't go to Zeta's house. So much has changed since 9-11. Everybody talks about 9-11. It's in the newspapers probably every day. And all I think about when I hear that 9-11 is, I am so proud that my husband did what he could that morning. Jim Gartenberg had accepted a better paid job at a new company four days earlier. Welcome news, as his wife Jill was pregnant with their second child. September the 11th was his last commute to work at the North Tower. I went to work soon after he did, and my office is very close to our apartment, so I just walked a few blocks. When I got there, there was a message light blinking, and I listened to the machine right away. And that was, I didn't even know what that meant. I listened to the message actually several times because I wasn't really sure what he was saying. I couldn't believe what he was saying. Just a minute later, I spoke to him. The message on the machine, which sounded frantic, when I first spoke to him, he sounded very calm, very controlled. He said to me, I'm going to be okay. You know, it's a fire, but I'm going to be okay. And he said, he was, I said, stay down low. I mean, right? What we learned, stay down low if there's a fire. And he stayed down low, and he was hiding behind a desk, and he was trying to call for help, and he had no idea what was going on. 500 miles away from Chicago, his closest friend, Adam, had only just arrived at work. I turned on. CNBC and they said you know we go live to the World Trade Center and there was smoke coming out of the building first thing I did was call his office he picked up the phone right away and he had a a, a voice that I had never before and it was just panic and fear and expletives there's fire there's smoke everywhere there's debris I can't get out you got to get me out of here. He had asked what happened, and he, he didn't know, and, and I didn't know. Jim Gartenberg was on the 86th floor of the North Tower. Although he was six floors below the point of impact, Jim and a colleague were trapped by debris as the floors collapsed above them. His comments were then real calm. Okay, what are we supposed to do? And I told him, there's fire and it's going up. You need to get down. He said, I can't go anywhere. The stairs are blown out below us. You know, the debris is too heavy. We can't move anything. It was very unusual that people outside had almost a greater sense of alarm and urgency than the people inside who were in the dark. Families were seeing the billowing smoke and the flames licking up the side of the building just a terrible responsibility for the people on the outside to have to say 
it's worse than you think. Fifteen minutes after the North Tower had been hit, most people in Tower 2, the South Tower, were still at their desks and watching the tragedy unfold. Amongst them was 24-year-old trader Brad Fetchett, who left a message for his mother to tell her he was safe. Hey mom, it's Brad. Uh, just wanted to call and let you know. I'm sure that you heard that a plane crashed into World Trade Center 1. We're fine. We're in World Trade Center 2. I'm uh, obviously well over here. But obviously a pretty scary experience. I saw a guy fall out of probably 91st story all the way down. So <clears throat> you're welcome to give a call here. I think uh, we'll be here all day. But uh, give me a call back later. He was trying to reassure us that he was okay, but you could tell as he cleared his voice when he talked about seeing someone fall from the 91st floor that there was a lot of fear in his voice. It's available anytime I want to play it back. It's there. I hear it and I know. I, I know it and. Uh, I'm still very fragile to listen to it, and so I'm comforted to know it's there, but I don't, don't listen to it. Eight floors above Brad in the South Tower was 42-year-old systems analyst Shimmy Beagleisen. The phone rang and it was Shimmy. Ma, don't worry, I'm fine. And I said, please don't waste any time. I know all about it, get out. And he said, listen, and he put the receiver up to the loudspeaker and I heard the announcement, do not leave your office, this building is secure. As we hung up, my nephew called and he was practically coherent. He said, Shimmy, trade. I said, Shimmy is, as I said, okay. I never got out because I plane hit the other building. At 9.03, 17 minutes after the North Tower was struck, United Airlines Flight 175 flew into the South Tower. Immediately the emergency services were flooded with calls as 700 people were trapped above the impact zone.
and uh, I will call you when I'm safe. Bye. A tribute to Stephen that at the moment of his death it can be said that he was with every member of his family and that's not easy Stephen was with us for 33 years and we have a choice we can either say we are so mad that he's not here or we can say we had him for 33 years and we have a feast to return to, the Feast of the Memories. The family came, girl, boy, girl, so there was a little triumvirate at the top. <laughs> and then four boys came in a very quick succession. And Stephen was the third of that group of four. Stephen was very relaxed, smiling, laughing. He was very laid back, very happy. You know, he really was uh, happy a, a lot of the time. Stephen was really a peacekeeper within the family because we all have very strong personalities. And at a dinner table, we all want to voice our opinion. And Stephen was the best, I think, of any of us of listening to all sides of an argument and really keeping the peace. That was the role that I thought he played in our family. He definitely did that, and it's a challenge to fill that role now. Following a successful career as a college basketball player, Stephen had moved to New York. At 33, he was now a trader with an investment company in the South Tower. September 11th was a beautiful, beautiful day, as everyone always will remember, I know. I was very pleased to be going to a yoga class around the corner in the village hall. And at the end of the class, I walked home. And when I came into this house, there was a blinking light on the answering machine. And I had six inches. Not the usual thing. And one of the messages was from Stephen. Mom, it's Stephen. Um, my plane, uh, my building got hit by a plane. And right now, it's, uh, I think I'm okay. I'm safe now, but it's smoky. I just want to say how much I love you. And uh, I will uh, call you when I'm safe. Okay, Mom? Stephen worked in the South Town. He was on the 89th floor. He said that he was going to call me and that he was going to be all right. There were messages then from people calling to say, Anna, are your children all right? 
And then there was a message from my husband. And he said, promise me you will not turn on the television. And that was an easy promise to make. I just went out in the backyard and I sat in a plastic, you know, $5 plastic chairs under a tree and with the phone in my lap, preparing myself for what I would need to face. Families often have a map in their minds of where their loved ones are in the world. You know, if somebody in your family is working at a place that has now become the center of all the world's attention and there's a calamity unfolding. In your mind, you're trying to place your loved one. Where are they in relationship to this terrible series of events that's unfolding? I feel so bad. We can't do more. You don't know. Oh, boy. Mm. It's an awful thing. It's an awful, awful, awful thing to call somebody and tell them you're going to die. That's an awful thing. Just seconds before the South Tower was hit, Shimmy Beagleisen's mother had urged him to leave. Now he was trapped on the 97th floor. By 9.15, the family apartment in Brooklyn had filled with Shimmy's loved ones. The phone passed between them as each offered him consolation and advice. We had Shimmy on the phone. We were trying to find different ways how to calm him down and relax him, possibly of different ways of maybe getting out and trying different exits. At one point when I was talking to him, he uh, shared a few private things with me. He asked me, his life and children. And all the time, I was able to hear in his voice that the situation was becoming a lot worse. There was now fire and dense smoke above the impact zone. Those trapped there began to panic. Shimmy's close friend, David, called to try and calm him. Okay. 
I'm very grateful that he was able to spend his last moment speaking to the people who were closest to him. At the end of your life, I would imagine you want some sort of comfort, and I hope, and it seems from what everyone has told me, that he was given that. That's all I could hope for. In the North Tower, the first to be hit, Jim Gartenberg had been trapped by falling debris for more than half an hour. Having spoken to his wife, Jill, and best friend Adam, Jim now wanted his predicament to be known to the watching world. He managed to make contact with a reporter at the New York Times, Jim Dwyer. I spoke with him several times that morning, and I was trying to understand what his predicament was, why he couldn't get to the to the stairs or why he couldn't get to an exit. And he said that, you know, the walls were um, cracking and folding over and, and he couldn't get to where he needed to be. Mr. Gartenberg seemed to be very directed, very focused. I mean, he was, you know, there's a sense of great urgency in his voice, but I, I didn't feel like he was panicking. He wanted people to know where he was and that he couldn't leave the building. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Jim has always been a leader. And I think that showed through on that day. Nicole is that he's so funny. When I first met Jim, he was the president of the Michigan Alumni Club in New York. I saw the way that he was running this meeting and the way he was interacting with people and his leadership skills. There was all these qualities about him that I said, Wow, this is a really After speaking to the New York Times, Jim's next call was to a local TV news program. At 9.32, 45 minutes after the North Tower was hit, Jim went live on air. Jim Gartenberg joins us. He was on the 86th floor of, uh, I'm not sure which tower, was it the north or south, Jim? It's World Trade Center 1, and it's not was. I am here, and I'm stuck right now. Now, you are you above or below? I have no idea. I have no the plane hit. I'm, it's my understanding that it's a plane. Jim, um, there are two planes. One went into one. One went into the other tower. What do you see around you? I mean, are you, are you in smoke? Are you in fire? First thing that I want to make clear is I'm stuck on the 86th floor. Um, a fire door has trapped us. Debris has fallen around us, and part of the core of the building is blown out. How many people are with you, Jim? I'm with one other person, and I'm told that people are aware of this. I'm on the 86th floor on the east side of the building facing the East River. And what time did I'm you get... I'm on the air. I want to tell anybody that has a family member that may be in the building that the situation is under control for the moment, and the danger has not increased. So please, all family members, take... I got a phone from a friend of mine on my cell phone saying... Jill, Jim's going to be okay. He was just on national television, and he said he's going to be okay. She told me what he said and how confident he was about it. 
they broadcast his voice. I still have tapes of that and listen to it, and it's eerie. The, the, the voice that I hear on that is not his, and it's just so odd as far as the voice is concerned. But his message was unbelievably calm and brave and stoic. Having seen that was just a, a tremendous tribute. I think for a lot of people to be in crisis mode, they would just sit there and scream. And Jim would kind of regroup with himself, it seems like, and said, okay, this is the situation. How do I best deal with this? And he reached out to as many people as he could, trying to figure out what resources he had to be helpful in this situation. I mean, he had the, the sense of mind to do that. And the danger has not increased. So please, all family members, take it easy. I think that was wonderful. But I knew in my heart, he was not going to be okay. Two thousand people were trapped in the north and south towers. Firefighters from across New York were sent to the scene. Knowing what he might soon face, fireman Walter Hines left a hurried voice message for his wife. Coming to help you. Message. Hi, uh, Ron, it's me. I just want to let you know I love you and the girls. Tell my mom to, uh, we're going down to that trade center thing, uh, the second plane they just crashed into that building. So we're on our way down there. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Walter knew this was so serious. I could tell from the sound of his voice. He knew this was something he might not get out of. And I think that he just needed to, to let us know that he loved us. The voice message that Walter left is still on his business phone, which I've kept in his office. I've probably listened to the message hundreds of times. Everybody has told me that that has lost loved ones, that this, you lose the sound of their voice, that you can't remember the sound of people's voices after they've gone. And I tend to think that that's true. I think it's a good reminder to have Walter's message for my daughters that they can continue to hear him. While some messages provide consolation, others are a painful reminder of a missed opportunity to say goodbye. I woke up to my telephone ringing. I worked nights at the time. So I didn't want to be bothered. And then my cell phone rang. And I'm like, I'm not going to answer it. I'd say it was probably about 1 o'clock in the afternoon that my cell phone rang with a message. First fake message. Hey, yo, it's Brian. A plane crashed into the trade center. It's on fire. And I'm in it. And breathe. Tell everyone I love them. I don't get out of here. Brian left that message, and that must have been the first or second phone call that I received that morning. And, I mean, I just didn't realize it. Now, it's really hard to struggle with, you know, what would have happened if I answered the phone? You know, but, I mean, I couldn't do anything, even if I did answer it. First message. Hey, 
I keep the message on an MP3 file, so I have it on CD. I have it hidden away in a safe. I have it on every hard drive I have. I have it, like, everywhere just so that nothing to it. It's Brian's last words. I mean, that's one of the reasons why recordings were made, was so people could record their last words. No, I mean, I think it gives me a little bit of guidance. I, like, draw from Brian's strength when I hear the message. Just three floors below Brian Nunez in the North Tower was Melissa Harrington Hughes. She was trapped on the 101st floor. Shortly after the first plane had hit her building, Melissa had called her father. But 55 minutes later, he'd heard nothing since. When we stopped our conversation, I thought she sounded in control of herself. And knowing my daughter, Melissa, I knew her. I didn't think she would have any problem out of the building. Whilst Melissa's father watched the events unfolding at home, her only brother, Michael, was at his office in Boston when he heard the news. I just started crying and just couldn't believe it. And really couldn't muster any words to anybody. I kind of had to go back up to work and say... I gotta go. I was just thinking, I hope she got out. I hope she got out. Either by a stairs, elevator. Maybe they were gonna bring helicopters. I didn't know. My sister was very protective of me. I can't say growing up I realized it. Because as a younger brother, you don't, you're always thinking the negative when you're younger. You get mad, you get upset. I don't like you, get away from me, you know, the typical brother-sister thing. But as time progressed, she looked out for me tremendously. You sure it was working? No, it wasn't working. But you know what? What? It's working now. <laughs> the relationship between Melissa and my father when she was growing up, kind of in the teenage high school years, was probably hostile at times you got to think two people with the same traits I mean both strong will nothing's ever going to be easy he was probably the only person she couldn't win against was my father and I think her traits came from him her drive and her strong will growing up Melissa had always been determined to experience life beyond her small-town roots in Massachusetts. Melissa spent the summer in France. She had the idea that Paris was the greatest city in the world, loved the clothes, loved the hairstyles. She had long hair. When she came back, her hair was very short. That was a style in Paris. When she got off the airplane, her mother and I looked at her. We were like, we didn't expect that. Age 26, Melissa moved to California to work for a large internet communications company. Melissa was a very ambitious young lady. When she was in California, she bought a, uh, a BMW. I, I was like years old when she bought the BMW. I'd never a car as nice as that. I, I said to her, 
Can you afford it? She said, Dad, I may never have an opportunity to buy one again. She bought it. She loved it. She wasn't here that long, but she had a wonderful time in the 31 years that she was here. She always aimed for the best. and Most of the time, she got it. After speaking to her father, Melissa rang her husband, Sean, in San Francisco, to whom she'd been married for just a year. He was asleep when she called. Sean, it's me. I just wanted to let you know I love you, and I'm stuck in this building in New York. There's lots of smoke, and we just wanted you to know that I love you. What is Melissa met John at a junior club dance. That's basically how they started their relationship. He was a very nice young man, and they were an extremely attractive couple. I could tell when she introduced me to him, her eyes just kind of glowed, and I could tell right away that he was probably the one that she was going to marry, and she did. Your kiss is a sign of their new married love. May I present you for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. Sean Hughes. <laughs> When I heard her message to Sean, I heard in her voice hopelessness. She was telling Sean that this is it, Sean, for me, but I'll love you forever, buddy. I don't know if I could say it was a good thing. It was good to hear her voice. Good to see that she called her husband. Emotional when you heard it. All sorts of different emotions coming out. Obviously sad because you're assuming when you hear it that she can't get out. But like I said, um, good emotions because I could hear her voice. Um, it's always good to hear the voice. An hour after the first plane struck the North Tower, some people were still struggling to make their first contact with loved ones. The phone networks were overloaded. By the time 41-year-old Tom McGuinness managed to get through to his wife, he already knew there was no possibility of escape. Right away I say, where are you? Where are you? And I'm almost annoyed because he's not answering me. And then he says, we're in a conference room that we can't get out of. We're trapped in a conference room. And I said, well, who's with you? And he rattles off things of a couple of guys I know. Three were with him, plus these other people. You could hear it. You could hear people talking. You didn't hear panic. You heard, I remember one guy yelling, let's just knock down this goddamn wall. I remember telling him, I said, you're going to get out of there. I kept telling him that. And that's when he said to me, he goes, Eliana, you don't understand. He says, there are people jumping from the floors above us. And that's when I just thought, oh, my God. Like, what are they going through that they are seeing what's going right above them? And it was just unbelievable. And I just kept saying, you're coming home tonight. You're coming home tonight. And he said, I love you. And he said, take care of Caitlin. 
he said, I have to get down on the floor. I love you. And that's when the I lost the connection at that point. There is a great comfort in the fact that I got to talk to him. And the funny thing about that comfort is it was not a great comfort that day or even, you know, weeks later. But it was a, it's a great comfort now. It was a great comfort months later. And the reason it was a great comfort is because, you know, it's not so much for me, but I feel that it was for him. It was his chance to say goodbye, his chance to say, take care of Caitlin. You know, he said, it'll be a miracle if we get out of here. He knew, he knew he wasn't going to get out. In the South Tower, the second to be hit, conditions were now desperate. Stephen Mulderry worked alongside a group of close college friends, all former high school athletes. As the fire spread, the group made a collective decision to stick together and try and reach the roof. They now faced a grueling 21-story climb up the stairwells through heat and smoke. Stephen was passionate about basketball, but he was tiny and slight. I have a picture of him in eighth grade when he was devoted to basketball, and he is standing between two fully grown classmates who were his best friends, and he looks like he's the mascot, and he wasn't. He hung in there. I feel basketball was a critical element in the person he grew to be. He never lost the fire or the desire. I saw it in the aftermath of Stephen's death when the loyalty of all the people he had played basketball with was made evident to me. And I saw the gifts that had come from the teamwork Stephen and his friends reached the top of the building, but the doors to the roof were locked. They retreated back down the stairwells and took refuge in an empty conference room on the 88th floor. Sharing a single mobile phone, each one took turns to say their goodbyes. Stephen and others passed the phone around and let people get word out to their family members. And at this point, there was a sense of dread among um, those people making the calls. There was a sense that they were doomed. People used their last minutes of conversation to talk with their families and their loved ones and their friends. They said, you made my life better. You know, uh, I want you to take care of so-and-so. I want you to, you know, know this about the truth of our lives. And um, it was a kind of a moment of, a moment of truth for many people, a moment of desperate truth, but a, also transcendent truth. Sixty-five minutes after the North Tower was hit, desperate calls were still being made in the building. For the family of 37-year-old Jeffrey Nussbaum, his struggle to live is documented in agonizing detail. 
my phone rang, and it was Jeff. And Jeff told me that the room is filling up with smoke. It was difficult for them to breathe. He told me the sprinkler systems went off, and they were like ankle deep in water. When you're so emotionally involved, you really you don't look at your wristwatch. And the phone company sent me a breakdown of his phone bill. I waited over two years for him to be identified. So anything is cherishable to me. And what was identified was so microscopic. That you hold on to everything. Even the telephone bill. By 10 o'clock, the rescue operation had made very little progress. The fire department had been blighted by malfunctioning radio receivers within the towers. Once inside on the stairwells, the firefighters could not communicate with each other. But that silence was about to be broken. Someone was able to make the radio receiver work and we have a remarkable, illuminating document of the effort to get up to the high floors in the South Tower. Battalion 7 on floor 40 of Tower 2. We got one elevator working up to the 40th floor. Staffed by a number of line on one side. The man who repaired the radio receiver was 45-year-old Oreo Palmer. As chief of Battalion 7, Palmer was amongst the first to arrive at the scene. As he entered the South Tower, he single-handedly fixed an elevator and took it to the 40th floor, halfway to where almost 700 people were struggling to stay alive. And then he started to climb on foot. And because he was a very, very fit man, he was able to make tremendous progress. He had run marathons, he ran half marathons. He went 12 floors in 10 minutes wearing all the bunker gear of 50 or 60 pounds. When I first heard Oreo's voice on the tapes, you can tell he knows he's in a race against time. Oreo's conserving his oxygen, he's conserving his energy. That's why there's not a lot of chatter on his part on the tape. During his ascent, Palmer discovered that one stairwell, the south, 
was still intact all the way to the impact zone and beyond. For the hundreds trapped there, this stairwell could have been an escape route. What The 78th floor in the South Tower was the bridge point between living and the dead. It was a transfer spot in the elevator system, and a lot of people had masks there. And when the second plane hit, a lot of them were killed outright. A lot of them were injured and waiting for help. And uh, Oriel Palmer was rising and racing to that point to get to them. Norio got up there pretty quick. Anyone who was wounded or dying, to know somebody was able to get up there, they knew there had to be a way out. The people who were there at the point of impact to have seen him, I can only imagine there must have been some uh, elation or euphoria that's probably undescribable. Maybe. Just to see him and realize uh, there's some hope here thanks to this guy who just made it up here. When I heard the tapes, you were watching a screen with all the words on it, but with a digital countdown, so you knew exactly what was coming. You knew the exact minute that the towers were going to go down, and you can't help but feel like you want to jump out of your seat and say, hurry up and get out of there. You know, you have one more minute before they, it comes down, and... That's the hard part. That was the hard part. I was not surprised when I heard that Oreo had made it to the 78th floor. He made it up to the point of impact. And it's amazing. He left a story behind. My kids have it. They have it. And I just feel that honor his memory and the person that he was. Seven minutes after Palmer's last words, the South Tower would collapse. There is one 911 call which captures this moment from inside the building. It highlights the moral complexity of hearing the suffering of those trapped. From the 105th floor of the South Tower, father of three, Kevin Cosgrove, was still speaking up until the moment when the tower fell. His words haunt me, and I try not to think about it, but it's also, in a way, kind of a comfort to know where he was and what he went through and what he was trying to do, um, and not many people have that. Parts of Kevin's call were deliberately made public when it was played by the prosecution in the trial of a key 9-11 terrorist. It was used to illustrate the human suffering that day. The first wasn't cleaned up at all. There was a lot of background 
and it was hard to hear what he was saying, and uh, it was certainly hard to listen to him not being able to breathe very well. one to fall. Some people said, you know, hearing Kevin's words has made the events of 9-11 more human for them, that there were really people in there and it wasn't just buildings. One lady called him the voice from the towers. It made it real for her, that it wasn't just a news story. It seemed like it was just a movie. But then when they heard Kevin speaking, realized this was a real thing with real people inside. For Wendy Cosgrove, there is comfort from the fact that almost 10 minutes of the call were not played in court. I'm glad that I have some that are just my own private memories that I don't have to share with the world. Um, because it is rather hard to share my husband's last words the entire world. So it's nice to have something a little private. I guess what I would want people to learn from listening to the recording is that life is short, that you never know when you're going to lose your loved ones, and to spend every minute you can showing them that love. And that's what's important in life. After 62 minutes, the South Tower, although the second to be hit, was the first to fall. Almost a thousand civilians and firefighters died. Along with Kevin Cosgrove, they included Brad Fetchett, Shimmy Beagleisen, Firefighter Walter Hines, Battalion Chief Oreo Palmer, and Stephen Mulderry. The phone rang and it was Amy, my youngest daughter. And the first thing I said to her was, where's Stephen? And she didn't answer. There was just silence. I got home and I called my mother. 
and she was so happy to hear my voice. Um, and I told her about Stephen. Uh, and I just know she just screamed. And that was it. She knew he was gone. And a sound came out of me that I'd never heard in my life. It was just an animal sound. And I knew when I heard that sound for the first time in my life, that howl, that it was universal. And that, you know, my family and I had joined the losses of all the ages. My plane, uh, my building got hit by a plane, and right now it's, uh, I think I'm okay, I'm safe now. The message that he left for me meant everything to me. I mean, I clung to it. I listened to it repeatedly in the days after. But I did put it aside at a certain point and say that... I would not continue to do that. And a very odd thing happened. And it is that as time went by, I created a new message that had never been left. I added to what he had left, thinking he had left it. In his message to me, he said, I'll be all right and... I will call you. In the message that I then began living with, you know, maybe a year after, was, I'll be all right and you will too. I made him say it in my memory over and over and over again. Please, please, George, have them mobilize the army. We need the army in Manhattan. Although the first to be hit, the North Tower was still standing. For those with loved ones trapped inside, the collapse of the South Tower was a terrifying premonition. When the first tower went down, I was hoping that Melissa had gotten out of the building. I knew she was not in that tower. Dad really wanted her to call back. Sean had told us that she had called him. He really wanted her to call back again. And uh, just nervously anxious was the way I viewed him. As a parent, you always want to have hope. I thought that if there was a way to get out of the building, that Melissa, at that point in time, that she would have been out of the building. I was on the phone with one of Jim's friends when the first tower collapsed. All you could hear if you listened in on the call was just crying and wailing. And then this, after about five or ten minutes of that, this sense of calm, that, oh wait, that's not his tower. 
it feels strange to report on the events of that day that we just isolated Jimmy's safety and how we could distance ourselves from the horrific event and the casualties that everybody else faced. But that, that felt like our duty. My parents were down in Florida on September 11th. They were not watching television until I told them to turn it on. My father was counting the floors to see, because he saw, he saw it on television. He was trying to figure out if Jim was above or below where the plane had hit. The first thing my father said to me was, he was such a great father. You know, and I said, that makes it real, because for me to think he's not going to make it out is one thing, but for my father to say that, because if it's in the past, that made it real, more real for me, that this was really, his life was ending. At 10.28, 102 minutes after it was hit, the North Tower fell. I saw the tower fall. Yeah, I saw the tower fall down. I'm sure. I never again. I saw his life end. I felt that, you know, my heart had been ripped from my body. I can't ever remember feeling that sadness ever in life or that much, that much emotion and tears and, um, nor do I hope I ever will. My wife Beverly was working teaching school in Chicopee. I had to drive to Chicopee to inform my wife that Melissa was in, in the North Tower. We were listening to the whole thing on the radio when we were driving back. And on our way home, the North Tower They asked me to shut the radio off. I shut you off, and we came home and cried together. When the North Tower collapsed, 1,402 civilians were killed along with Melissa Harrington Hughes and Jim Gartenberg, they included Christopher Hanley, Jeffrey Nussbaum, and Tom McGuinness. The question really about the Trade Center is what are our memories made out of? Are they made out of uh, images and myths? Are they made out of the hard facts? The audible record of that day is essential because if history is going to be a tool for the living, if memory is going to be something that we can rely on, then you can't blink, you can't turn away. You have to say, this is what happened, and this is how it happened. 
for the families, the pain of September the 11th may never recede. But now that several years have passed, they are beginning to understand the profound legacy of their loved one's final words. My mother is very philosophical. She doesn't stuck by, by something like this. She recognizes it, it sort of absorbs it, and tries to make the most of it, and she looks forward. So she's doing well, I think. The world doesn't stop for every tragic loss of life. And, you know, I kind of wish the world could. The world gets too busy. And I understand you can't. You'd be in constant grieving. It's too easy for me to fall into a place where life is only about endurance. And I think that's a very poor way to live life. It's ignoring all the gifts you're given. And I didn't want to be that way. I didn't want to be that way. And, you know, I can say that I don't think I have. Jim called me, you know, instantaneously as soon as it happened. His first response was, he needs to talk to me. To have his voice, just to have his voice is, it's nice. Even though it's panic mode, it's some last memories. When Jim passed away, I was three months pregnant. You know, here I am with this special gift, as far as I'm concerned, that he left me with. And to me, that's so important that we had that. She has his personality. She's quick-witted, and her sense of humor is just like him. So knowing that, you know, she's such a part of him, and that my other child's such a part of him, it makes me makes me happy, that part. I was the last one from the outside world to talk to Melissa. We were able to say how much we loved each other, and I think of it constantly, all of the time. Ever since Melissa's passing, I don't want to put a good spin on it, but... It's changed him. It's made him more aware of things, I should say. He's more loving man now than he was before. Didn't show his feelings as much before, and now he does. Like with my son, who was, coincidentally, which was kind of fate, I would have to say, was born on September 11th. When you leave the face of this earth, all you leave are your children. That's your legacy. Melissa brought a lot of joy into our lives. My inner peace with Melissa's death might come from the fact that I spoke to her. I find a lot of pleasure knowing that uh, uh, Melissa called me, knowing that we were able to say our last goodbyes, basically. I got to talk to Melissa in person, and in, in, uh, I'll take that to my grave.
This is The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA Albuquerque. 